The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Wilshire, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pixel.Wav, Austin Reynolds, Pedro Marquez, and CubeDude22. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Somehow, Mike, in these crazy times, Mayor McCheese has been elected for an unprecedented seventh term. Well, it's good to see Mayor McCheese really, you know, he's tough on crime, Neil. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, we're live. We are live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I got to ask you something. Uh, I need people to stop answering the phone with hi. Do you ever get that? Like when you call somebody and it's just like, like, especially somebody that you don't know yet, or maybe it's a client or something with your job or somebody like new, like your, your friend says, oh, you got to call this guy up and they just answer the phone. Hi. And you're like, hi, it's Neil. Is this <laughs> Joe? And they're like, yeah, it's me. I'm like, okay, who the hell taught you how to use the phone? You know? <laughs> that is a weird one. Yeah, just high with nothing after it. That is yeah. really strange. I don't think I've, you know, I definitely have probably run into, into that in my time, but I don't remember it because I'm probably just like enraged when someone does that who I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. How I answer the phone definitely depends on who is calling. Um, sure. But uh, like, if you know, if you know, if I know that it's you on my cell phone, it says, you know, Mike Lane is calling. So like, I know that, but like, if it's an unknown number, it's a new person calling. Like if I'm calling a client, like I said at work and they just answer the phone with hi. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, is this you? Like, are you, is this, is this so-and-so from this company? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm like, okay, you could have started with that though. Like, yeah. why did I have to ask you this? You're an adult. Even, even if I like, if you called me and I answered hi, that would just be so weird. Like, Hi. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start hanging up <laughs> if people answer with hi, and I'm gonna call again until they it's get the it. It's the hi with the pause that really like just like the silence after that really would that like gives me anxiety. Like that is like yeah. the worst thing I've ever heard. It's just not the way I was taught to answer. I was you know back in the day when we had one phone for the entire house, we'd say like hi Neil, this is the Gilbert residence kind of thing, and then they'd be yeah. like because me, my brother, my dad, we actually all sound very <laughs> similar on the phone, so we kind of had to start answering the phone that way. So that's just how I was I was raised in a house where we were taught how to answer the phone properly. So it just throws me off when people don't know how to answer the damn phone. Yeah, like I'll just – if usually it'll be like um, – they'll like say – or you know, sometimes they'll even ask. Right? They'll just be like, oh, hi. Is this um, is this Mike? I'll be like, yep. That's just, this is me. What's up? Or like that's, yeah. that's usually how people – but if some – yeah, I, I don't think I've ever answered the phone just hi. I'll usually say, uh, hi, this is uh, Wario from uh, uh, Bowser Royal. Uh, how can I help you today? <laughs> Yeah, you're their customer service, so you never know who if they're calling for Mike Lane or if they're calling for Bowser Oil. You're a, you have two lines on your one phone, which is not a good way to be, but it happens. It happens sometimes, Neil. But um, speaking of mm. just chaotic evil, because that's what high with a pause after is when you uh, call Indeed. someone. Um, I had a lovely time looking at something called the Chaos Shopping Cart charts. And what I mean by that is that you probably, if you're listening to this, uh, I'm certain that at some point you have seen a Chaos chart. It's what I call them. It's a kind of 
three by three grid of uh, different kinds of uh, lawful good, neutral, evil. Like, sure. yeah, you know, it's all the standard stuff you see for people make them all the time. But one of my favorites that I've seen recently is one for shopping carts and how you properly put back shopping carts. Oh, I love <laughs> and this. And everyone has a different way to put back a shopping cart. So I'm just going to list, list them super quick here, Neil, and then I want to hear what you have to say about it. This is going to be really good for podcast listeners, so we'll do our best to uh, describe it, and we'll post it on our story or something on yeah. Instagram, so you can play along at home and, <laughs> and let us know what way... Now, this is the way that I put away my shopping cart, or we're just describing different ways that you find shopping carts in the well, wild? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe them, and I'm, I'm, then I'm going to get your thoughts on it, and I want to see what you okay. do. But uh, we start with lawful good in the top left there. Return to the mm-hmm. store, just a solid, you know, normal thing to do. Neutral good, return to a corral, which uh, today mm-hmm. I learned a... That area where you put the shopping carts is called a corral outside. You did not work at a grocery store. <laughs> I know, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> he had a good launched into a corral uh, nice. like that. A lawful neutral. Uh, we're going to the neutral column now here, or neutral row, which is uh, return to another store. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> True okay. neutral, uh, return to the poor. Oh. Uh, uh, you know, that's kind of nice. Uh, chaotic neutral, return to nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, okay. Lawful evil. We're in the evil area now here. Uh, mm. Return, uh, sorry, lawful evil, unreturned, but neatly stacked, which uh, mm. is an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, it's like in a different parking lot, but the carts are all together and bunched up like yeah. they're supposed to be. Okay. 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 Uh, neutral evil left in a parking space. This one, no. just, this this one no. really burns my blood, like boils my no, blood. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is the worst one. Okay. All right. And then chaotic evil, which is returned to a culvert or a sewer or like just just <laughs> thrown into the water, basically chucked into a creek. Yeah. yeah. Oh so, man, we lived we lived in a neighborhood that had a creek through it. There's always shopping carts <laughs> off the bridge, man. That's definitely a teenager thing to do, though. I don't think that's like an adult thing to do. But. For sure. Yeah. That okay. is uh, that is the the uh, uh, definitely the definition of chaotic evil. But of all these, Neil, what do you think represents you the most? I'm definitely a launched into a corral kind of guy. <laughs> I love like just just like taking a running start and just rocketing <laughs> a cart into the corral. And if it misses and hits a car, that's on me. But in my 28 years of life, I've never quite missed. I'm, I'm either a chaotic good, which is launching into the corral, or a neutral good, which is returning to a corral. I'm almost always... I'm always good about putting a cart back in the corral. I'm not. I'm definitely not like a return to store kind of guy because I park so far yeah, away. Yeah, of from, course, of course. Especially like a Walmart parking lot or something. I want to stay as far away from you people as possible. <laughs> so I'm, I'm parking like near the McDonald's or the bank or something at the other side of the uh, other side of the parking lot. So I'm not going anywhere near there. But I can't get down with the leaving the cart in a parking space. That is something I will never do. That would be a deal breaker for me for just like friends, partners, anyone who is like, you know what? Uh, Yeah, I do leave my cart in a parking space. Just be like, get out. We're done. Yeah. That's it. Because that is – that's terrible. There's nothing worse than looking for a parking space and you see someone's stupid cart uh, blocking the way there. But for me, Neil, I I would probably also do Chaotic Good launched into a corral because launching is just so much fun. But I think my true pick, what I do the most, is Lawful Evil. Uh, Unreturned but neatly stacked. You know, I find where other people have also Lawful Eviled it and I I go with with the trend. I will default to that if it's like, okay, there's no, like, I hate grocery stores that don't have corrals in them. Uh, yeah. Like I, was at, I actually had this situation yesterday. I was at a grocery oh. store and they had no corrals. So naturally, I had a mix of, uh, it was chaotic neutral, which is returning the cart to nature, which is basically <laughs> like those little, you know, like grocery stores have little gardens randomly in their parking lot, which is just weird. But they were all stacked nicely. So it was a mix between chaotic neutral oh. and lawful evil. So I was like, okay, there's already three carts here. 
four is not going to make anybody's life any worse. So I made a mix of the two. But yeah, I, I, I hate it when grocery stores don't have corrals in there, man. And like you have to pay a dollar to get the cart. Like that's just adding insult to injury. So if you want to make the world a better place out there, you can of course listen to the GameCube is Cool podcast on a weekly basis. But also if you ever see a cart in a parking space, Go grab that one, bring it into the store, and that's the cart that you're now going to use. You're freeing up a parking space, you're getting a free cart out of it as long as the wheels are good, and everyone's going to benefit from that. That's just the true good right there, Neil. The true good. That's that's the ultimate message of today's episode. <laughs> but Mike, we do have an opening topic today from Patreon. One of our Patreon supporters, PixelWav, wrote in today. And listeners, remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. If you support the show at $5 or above, uh, you get your name read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. PixelWav, or Pixel.Wav, says... Take one GameCube game currently lacking a peripheral and design one for it, thinking of the DK bongos, of course. Feel free to tweak the game's mechanics uh, if it would improve the peripheral in any way. And uh, Pixel.Wav says, I feel like this question may already have been asked. If so, please ignore. But I don't think we've ever talked about anything like this before, Mike. No, we've talked about our favorite peripherals, Neil, but uh, we've never talked about something yep. where we want to create a peripheral for mm-hmm. a uh, uh, an existing GameCube game. So great question. Uh, pixel.wav uh, i love this i can go first neil i'm um i've got two but my main one that i was thinking of is a real racing wheel for double okay. dash you know just like mm. i think that was a i would love love to see a gamecube style racing wheel uh, with like with the gamecube buttons on it i think that would be so oh, yeah. cool you know i'm just i'm just picturing the game the keyboard <laughs> the massive gamecube <laughs> keyboard but done in the style of a wheel uh, you're not me. You don't talk about. You're not talking about like the Wii wheel for. No, Wii no. I'm talking Margaret. about the more. You know, like the, the more intense one. There's there's a bit of a bit of bulk heft. to it. Yeah, some yeah. heft to it. Uh, it looks nice. It could even be one of those um, real like racing uh, in like the half type ones. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like just the handles on either side rather than the full circle. Could even yep. be something like that. Like that would be really cool. And have like the B or other buttons like right by your. Uh, your hands, so you can quickly just like click B or, or L or whatever it is to throw uh, items. Like, uh, I think that would be a really cool. cool thing to have. And you can use that for other games. You could put it with Burnout or Need for yeah. Speed, Auto Modelista even. Ooh. And then you could even move it up to the Wii, I suppose, because yeah. the GameCube port works on and the Wii and the Wii U and the Switch now potentially. Yeah, the GameCube would have been great. It would have been great to have had a proper racing wheel. I think it. Did, I thought we did see something like this back in like the early days when we did our first racing episode. I remember coming across some kind of third-party controller that had what you're describing with the buttons on the face of the wheel and everything. And it that would have been so cool to have that in that indigo purple, maybe yeah, also in right? silver, spice, black, like all of the to, to match your GameCube. Because there are a lot of great racing games on the GameCube, like being able to play Need for Speed with with a proper racing wheel and its GameCube uh, branded and everything. Yeah. Oh, be so cool it would just look that. so cool too because obviously mm-hmm. like the gamecube and the controllers look awesome it's such a cool design so i would love yeah. to see that translated onto um a racing wheel what about you neil what's uh, what's your nice. top pick here yeah mine is also kind of on the same vein as like something that was sort of made for the wii but not really i would love something uh, a peripheral a sporting equipment peripheral for mario power tennis golf and baseball uh, would be awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like I'm missing a sport in there. Tennis, golf, baseball. There isn't really one you could do with soccer, I suppose, but maybe maybe Nintendo could figure it out. But I would have loved to have had some kind of like a sports package, like to get all four of the Mario sports games on like a single disc or yeah. something or bundled in together and you get a tennis racket, a golf club, a baseball bat. <laughs> I'm just getting weapons at this point. And a cleat. And, and a cleat, <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, that's a good idea right there. Like yeah. a pedometer or yeah. something would be kind of neat. You can like run in place or something. Just something to make the, uh, the sports games feel a little bit more... Uh, I guess uh, you're just getting a little bit more absorbed into the game. 
Uh, I think that would have been really cool. They did do this with the Wii. I know that you could put the Wiimote in like a little tennis racket. That is kind of what I have in mind, I guess. But also having, you know, the GameCube colors to it, the, the buttons on the controller would be kind of neat. Just something to add. What I really wanted was motion controls added to the GameCube rather than get an entirely new console uh, with yeah. the Wii. Uh, would have been great. I think that that's what the Wii originally was supposed to be, but I don't have enough information on that. That's my first pick, Mike. Do you have another uh, peripheral you would have liked to have seen? Yeah, I would have actually liked to see something better with Mario Party than the stupid Mike uh, peripheral that we got, oh, which yeah. sucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would have loved to see like actual dice, like actual Ooh. die, I guess you could say, um, mm-hmm. that you would roll. They could be like, I don't know, these foam dice that uh, have some kind of a sensor in them, I guess, and so it knows what you actually rolled. Uh, that would be something that would be just interesting and something fun to do so you have a little more interaction with the game instead of just quickly pressing A when the dice comes up. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I guess you could probably game it by just getting tens or whatever, sixes every single time. Right. Um, but I would even go as far as using some kind of like twister board or like DDR kind of board for some of the mini games and have um, uh, and like kind of use your body in them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not right. looking for Wii type oh. things with using the remotes or stuff, but I'm just looking for small things that were already available for the GameCube, like you know a DDR pad, but use that in a in a different way, not for music like and rhythm stuff, but for I don't know. Like stepping over things in a certain pattern, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah like, like Twister almost. I'm I'm taking it an entirely new step forward. Where imagine if like it came like Mario Party came with an actual board board game that maybe changed depending oh. on what course you're on, and you use your amiibos as your character, and then the, the board so the board game is in real life, and then the mini games are happening on screen because the that's board game sick. really doesn't need to be happening. I know, right? Like I, that's giving me that's a great <laughs> idea, dude. Um, the dice is a good idea, but I just picture so many arguments happening when that starts to like <laughs> malfunction and yeah. like you roll a three and the game thinks you rolled a one. Um, but no, like to have like an actual board on the screen and you're playing as your Mario amiibo, you move around with, yeah. with your dice and then the game knows where everyone is just based on, the, this is going to cost like $600, uh, <laughs> but like the game knows where exactly everyone is. It knows like what space you landed on because you have your little QR sensor thing or whatever it's called in your amiibo. Dude, that they could make such a cool board game with those characters. Like you already have all those, ca- everyone has 200 amiibo anyway. You might as well <laughs> give us something to do with them, please. Oh, that's such a great idea. Like, I'm glad oh that you God. expanded on mine there. Yeah, I would love to have the board in real life, basically, and then the mini games yeah. on screen. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, and you can, it'd be like Mousetrap because you can like build a little set before you get started because that is the best part of the board game Mousetrap. No one's ever played a game of that. We all know. <laughs> we just we just build it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we let the little little thing go. But my second choice here, my last one, would be the ultimate uh, Metroid Prime experience, and that is a VR headset for Metroid Prime. I would love to experience that game with a VR headset on to be able to see all of the planets that you're exploring, all of the enemies to fight Ridley in uh, like with a headset on, like a helmet. And it would actually look like Samus's helmet too. That's what I want. I don't want to wear the goggles. I want to put on the actual Bubba Fett-like helmet that Samus wore. Um, maybe there's motion controls. I guess there would have to be if you're using a VR headset. So maybe this is where like a Wii pointer control type thing comes in. But man, Metroid Prime would be so cool to play in VR, I think. Oh yeah, I would love that. That's a great pick too i think that just like especially with the helmet like you said and already Mm -hmm. having the hud up there it it seems like an easy one bring us uh bring us virtual boy Ooh, yeah nice nice little metroid game in complete red and black give everyone (laughs) give everybody vertigo if they even if they don't want it but i don't know if vr counts as an actual peripheral it's kind of becoming more of like a console on its own but in this sense i'm counting it as a as a peripheral because i'm never gonna not have a console yeah this works for GameCube for sure. Definitely. But thank you so much, PixelWav, for writing in this week. We absolutely love that topic. I'm I'm really looking forward to an in-person Mario Party board game to come out now. They've made that <laughs> Mario Kart tabletop Hot Wheels kind of thing, so Mario Party is the next best thing to do. 
I know. It, it seems I would rather have the Mario Party one than Mario Kart, like in that way. Oh, yeah. I just I feel like if I was a kid, I'd probably enjoy that more, kind of like Labo in that sense. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we can talk about that another time. Definitely. But Mike, I think it's time that we jumped into today's episode. So I have a very important question for you. Are you ready, kids? Aye, aye, Captain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 105 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 460 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. No This is Patrick. (laughs) Best SpongeBob reference ever. Last week, we talked about Winnie the Pooh and kids' games on the GameCubes, games that were targeted at the preschool or kindergarten audience rather than the edgy teens that devs were after in this generation. We also covered Franklin and Curious George. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we're talking about the SpongeBob games on the GameCube to celebrate the 23rd anniversary of the worldwide release of SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, SpongeBob is arguably the most iconic cartoon of our time. It first debuted technically on May 1st, 1999 with the episode Help Wanted. Uh, From there, it's spawned 13 seasons of the cartoon, three featured films, over 35 video games, amusement park rides, countless merchandise from lunchboxes to board games. Uh, It's one of the highest grossing uh, media franchises of all time. But Mike, it's been about 23 years since SpongeBob officially premiered to the world. So why don't we go over some facts about the show and then we can talk about our memories together with it. Yeah, that sounds good, Neil. So of course, uh, Mr. Steven Hillenberg, RIP, uh, just an amazing animator and marine biologist. That's one of my favorite things ever is the <laughs> yeah. fact that those were his two passions and he put them together to create SpongeBob. Before SpongeBob, he worked on um, Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, he, he, that's how he met a lot of the uh, the, desi- the designers that would eventually work on SpongeBob, as well as Tom Kenny, who would voice SpongeBob. He did get his start, like you said, in marine biology and art. Those were his two, his major and his minor, where he studied. And he was actually teaching marine biology uh, while he was also co uh writing a comic book series called the Intertidal Zone, mm-hmm. uh, which was like a comic book series meant to educate kids and students uh, on marine biology, which he created back in 1989. And there was even a sponge character named Spongeboy in this <laughs> uh, in this comic strip, which is the earliest rendition of Spongebob, who would later become the SquarePants character that we know. I always think, I always like to like look at him as a reference just for people, anyone who's trying to achieve their dreams, you know, because... It's so cool that he was able to merge his two loves because a lot of times in life you do end up having to kind of choose one path to go down uh, in terms of what you really like doing. But it's uh, really nice to see when people are able to merge their loves and actually create uh, – Like, because honestly, Spongebob is – uh, an educational cartoon in some ways like there is mm-hmm. I can't think of anything before or since that has ever done something about the marine life and and in very like detailed like there's a lot of detail around it too that I think a lot of people forget yeah definitely and not not even so much about just marine and, and ocean like it's not it's not really like an environmental show but no. it does teach a lot of really good life lessons too like yeah. just about being in the workforce and growing up <laughs> and I guess individuality and everything and being yourself is obviously the main point of the show I know you already said it but I do want to give just a quick shout out to Stefan Hillenberg RIP of course he died back in 2018 I believe he died shortly after um, Stan Lee died and it was just a really depressing summer that year <laughs> Uh, with those two, that was one of the first deaths that really hit me hard because mm-hmm. we knew him so well, seeing his name on just about everything we owned back in the 2000s. And every every time we'd watch a SpongeBob episode, we would see his name. So he really was like an uncle that we never knew, creating our 
most favorite franchise and one of the main things that you and I bonded as as kids, Mike, we played baseball together, we played GameCube together, and we also watched a lot of SpongeBob together. So you and I both owe a ton to him and all of the creators on SpongeBob, definitely. And he actually had the original vision of ending SpongeBob after the third season and ultimately the movie. Mm -hmm. That was his idea, which you and I both pretty much unanimously, the entire SpongeBob fan base agrees that one season one through three and the movie are kind of where the series hit its peak and should have ended. And he, Stefan Hillenberg, did believe that 60 episodes is kind of the the peak of a cartoon. That's about what every cartoon should be. That's what Rocco's Modern Life approximately was. And that's why he wanted SpongeBob to end there. And frankly, I completely agree with that yep. because 13 seasons, the the show has definitely jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, like, look at stuff like The Simpsons or Family Guy or any of these yeah. shows. Um, I'd say the only one that might be uh, immune from it is South Park, but that's just because it's a different story. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, with, with like SpongeBob, it's those first three seasons, the movie... They're just so incredibly well-written, well-animated, tons of amazing little references in there. Great for adults to watch, great for kids to watch. It's something that is so unique in that way that I'm not sure if we'll ever, ever see something, one, as big and culturally huge as SpongeBob. Because Mm -hmm. uh, SpongeBob still is everywhere. Like SpongeBob's face is completely recognizable, more recognizable than almost anything else uh, on TV or just in any kind of films uh, today. And the lasting impact that's had, like I was watching, of course, all the episodes this week. I was watching uh, season two and season three, which I have on DVD. And uh, I was laughing at so many of the parts because they're still so funny. (laughs) And there's parts that I completely forgot about that are now even funnier to me as an adult. And like, you know, especially the Squidward and Mr. Krabs and just Mm. working at the Krusty Krab parts that are, so well done that could have been phoned in so so easily from these guys and and from the the creators but you could just you, you know as you get older you can and you watch things or you experience um uh, things uh for uh, for yourself you really can tell when people love what they do mm-hmm. uh and the and it shows in the work and you can absolutely tell that with the voice cast with the animators with everyone who worked on SpongeBob clearly mm-hmm. everyone had a very singular vision obviously Stefan Hillenberg had a big part in making sure that everyone was uh, you know pushing that cohesive vision that north star and yeah you could tell that everyone wanted to be there and wanted to create these really zany hilarious uh, absurd cartoons Definitely. And when he pitched the idea originally to Nickelodeon, they pushed back a little bit wanting SpongeBob to be a kid in school because that's what kids want to watch. Kids don't want to watch kids on TV. They really want to watch adults or at least what they think of adults being adults, which is what SpongeBob ended up being. But it's funny because that's doing a lot of research this week. It's funny that that's why they added the boating school uh, subplot to the show is because that was kind of their... Uh, that was their deal was that, okay, we'll have a few episodes or a few storylines where SpongeBob is, he's in boating school and that'll be like his school. So that was what the, if Nickelodeon had their way, they would have made SpongeBob way more juvenile and in school, but he just made that an element of the show. And then after he left, that's basically what they did where every character in the show basically just leans into whatever their, their archetype was in the first three seasons where Squidward just becomes more jaded. Sandy Cheeks becomes more of like a scientist. SpongeBob just is, he just leans into his juvenile personality. Patrick just becomes an idiot. (laughs) Uh, which is not what the characters are in the uh, in the original series at all but nonetheless it still is the 32nd highest grossing media franchise of all time right behind looney tunes and tied with fist of the north star i don't know anything about that and it's just ahead of frozen the disney franchise as of 2019 the series or the franchise mainly merchandise has uh, made 13 billion dollars and 
That's mostly in probably T-shirts and backpacks, honestly. <laughs> yeah, there's so much merchandise. We have so much merchandise for sure yep. for SpongeBob stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I still see SpongeBob stuff everywhere. Crazy yep. to think that, uh, looking back on our last episode about Winnie the Pooh, how much more money Winnie the Pooh has made from merchandise? $80 billion. Just crazy. I know. I know. I think it helps Winnie the Pooh having books, I suppose. Like SpongeBob, most of the In 100 years on SpongeBob. <laughs> in 100 years. I don't know if SpongeBob's going to be along that. that uh, I don't know if SpongeBob is going to be around quite as long, but it's still the fifth longest running American animated series of all time. Uh, it's up there with shows like The Simpsons, Family Guy, Arthur, which is now ended, Dora the Explorer, and like you said, South Park. It's kind of scary because I also saw shows on this list like Bob's Burgers and Adventure Time. Those are now on the list, too, of longest-running TV series. Uh, And those came out when we were, like, just finishing high school. So it's just, like, reminding me how long we've been out of high school in that time. (laughs) It's it's crazy to think. But uh, for me, SpongeBob basically ended in the movie like we talked about. So even though it's been about 17 years since then, I still – I watch the DVDs this week, too. I own one and three. I need to get season two under my belt for sure. Of course, I've seen the movie about, uh, about 20 times. I want to talk about some of our favorite episodes in in just a few minutes, but one thing I want to just talk about real quick is a couple of controversies that the show has had over the years, which are absolutely stunning, Mike. Since most of these controversies happened when you you and I, or at least I, were kind of out of the SpongeBob hemisphere, I wasn't really paying attention to it. I had no idea any of this stuff happened, but between 2006 and 2009, uh, there was a lot of controversy around the sexual orientation of the characters, (laughs) uh, which is just crazy because nobody was watching the show anywhere interested in the uh, yeah. relationship or the sexual orientation of any of these characters at all. I mean, this is this is what people do is, you know, if they they if something gets too big, then they have to try and poke holes in it in whatever weird prejudice they have. I I suppose so. Like they you really have to look at this stuff under a microscope like a marine biologist. You have to look <laughs> at this under a marine biologist. But another one, a 2011 study suggested that allowing preschool aged uh, audiences to watch the series caused short-term disruptions in mental function and attention span because of frequent shot changes uh, compared to control groups watching Caillou and drawing pictures. I just want to say if you were a kid that was only allowed to watch Caillou as a kid, I feel very sorry for you. Yeah, I feel like you didn't grow <laughs> up well. <laughs> no. <laughs> Imagine the uh, the problems with those kids if they only were allowed yeah. To watch Caillou. <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous. But my favorite one was that the series has been uh, criticized for promoting environmentalism as well as left-wing politics, uh, but also their negative portrayal of big business, which is obviously something that a lot of companies are going to go after because those companies have money, uh, which is hilarious because SpongeBob is owned by Nickelodeon and Viacom, which are two big companies right there. But the show also, and this is what I found funny about it, is that the show makes fun of big business, yes, but it also makes fun of small business with yeah. the Krusty Krab. It makes fun of independent company owners like the Trum Bucket. And it makes fun of struggling artists with Squidward. So I don't know why big business think that they were being singled out with this show. Can you imagine, like, complaining about someone, uh, about a show preaching environmentalism? Like, what the hell? How- I never noticed that in the show either, honestly. But, but even, like, like that, that's that's such a weird thing. Like, what? sorry, you hate the earth? Like, you, you hate, like, living here? Like, right. That's so, why would you complain about that? I don't that's, know. Like, the weirdest, that's the weirdest hill to die on, man. Definitely. First of all, it's not there. And also, like, why is this a bad thing to even be talking about? But another thing that the co- my favorite last one here controversy was uh, sparked by a political debate over the show's portrayal of unemployment because of an episode <laughs> in season nine called SpongeBob, You're Fired. Uh, unemployment is a great lesson for children because it's something that they're yes. going to experience in some way. So you might as well find some ways to laugh about it. And again, it's just one of those things where it's like, 
it's great to see it in cartoons because like the show is so vanilla now like it's just so like i've seen a couple of the new episodes Uh for some reason season seven is the only season on netflix uh they're bad like they're not they're not good they're not interesting there's no funny storylines there's no good jokes or anything but it is it is going on nonetheless i'm sure it's probably all on paramount plus or something but just give me uh, seasons one through three please on netflix that's all i'm asking we all want it we all know what we want even season four is pretty good because a lot of the writers and stuff are still there but yeah. uh, a lot of them and animators, they ended up actually moving on to a lot of other shows, like one of them being Adventure Time, mm-hmm. uh, and they, that they started uh, only a couple of years after Steven Hillenburg uh, left. So that's pretty uh, – it's pretty cool to see. It's almost like Seinfeld and Simpsons in that sense where they start on this big show and they move on and create other things that are equally good or, or they – you know, they're trying to honor – uh, the creator's vision uh, in that sense too. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's talk about um, uh, a couple of our favorite episodes here, Neil. Sure, my favorite episode. I'm going to give a few honorable mentions, but I am going to shoot my favorite episode Ooh. first, and that has to be Band Geeks. Oh my God, it, that one of the greatest songs ever, with Victory, and one of the greatest yeah. supervillains ever, as I call him, with Squilliam. <laughs> Squilliam is so good. <laughs> it gives Squidward something else to do as opposed to just complaining about SpongeBob yeah. and Patrick all the time. But it really is just the lead up to that entire episode, like Squidward trying to put together a band with all of his friends, which is somewhat relatable for us because we've you know we've played music together with friends and stuff, and it, it to varying degrees of success it works out. But then yeah, that that song at the very end and having it cut over an actual, I think they cut it with an actual Super Bowl game or some college football game, which was just such a good idea to the point where the. Uh, the that moment, that episode is actually referenced in a super, an actual real life Super Bowl back in 2017, 2018. I, think I just 19. remember. Yeah, I think that's when he died. Oh, is this one the year? So it's 2000, I guess it might have been 2018 then. But yeah. 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 I remember like seeing that, just hearing that they're going to make a SpongeBob reference at the Super Bowl and watching it just for that. And they did it. And you're right. One of the greatest songs of all time. I remember listening to that on my <laughs> iPod Nano back in the day when I only had 500 songs to uh, to, to put on there. Sweet Victory was uh, was on there at all times. But what about you, Mike? Do you have a favorite episode that you can call out? Is mayonnaise an instrument? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I don't have an, a number one favorite because I have so many good ones. Okay. Uh, I'm going to list off uh, a couple here. Uh, obviously, the um, Band Geeks one. Uh, one of my favorites is the episode where uh, Squidward goes to the future. Yes, uh, SB129. I have that one in my honorable mentions. That's a very existential episode. There is uh, a, a video essay on that uh, mm-hmm. online. Check it out. Just look up SB129, and uh, they will dive into all like the references and explanation of that it's actually kind of trippy but yep. uh, that is such a cool episode and i remember seeing that when i was really little when i was a kid and you know being like whoa this is different this yeah, is i remember like... not liking it because it's like what is this it's not like a spongebob it's not a traditional anything really it's it's yeah. a very weird trippy episode you can tell some of the creators of the show had to have been on drugs for some of these jokes <laughs> i'm not sure if i didn't like it but i i definitely didn't like love it but i was really interested I, I wanted to see more, especially when Squidward is in the like the white space and like alone, like the words are coming yep. out. I just remember looking at like this is really cool. I've never ever seen anything like this, and honestly, haven't seen anything like it since. But uh, I love that episode and the caveman part too, of course. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the episode with SpongeBob as the artist, where uh, Squidward's teaching him the art class at the community college. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and That's a great one. He's uh, sculpting and draws a perfect circle. That's a <laughs> fantastic one. They're the only two characters in that episode, right? They yeah. don't. Yeah, that's the whole maybe episode. Mis- 
Yeah, the whole episode is just the two of them in art school. Yeah, yeah that's a great episode. Uh, there is the episode of Mystery of the Seahorse, where SpongeBob oh, yeah. has gets the seahorse and then lets it go. And there's a running gag with Patrick with the the the, the block the of wood <laughs> stuck in it's his one head. Of my, that's still one of my favorite SpongeBob memes. We have to talk about the memes. Is that like anytime like in our group chat, anytime anybody <laughs> screws something up or like something bad, ha- I don't know, something bad happens, I always just post the picture of Patrick sitting there with a board nailed to his head. It's like one of my favorite images from the show. It's just just get out of here, you dumb, stupid animal. <laughs> <laughs> it's Patrick with the and, board just leaving. <laughs> and I don't think he speaks in that episode either. He, he doesn't, doesn't say anything. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so there is uh, the episode where they think they're ugly. Um, and that's oh, when yeah, SpongeBob yeah. has a rancid breath. That's just a mm-hmm. fantastic one. Uh, the talent show episode, Squidward doing his interpretive dance. Yes. Uh, and, and SpongeBob <laughs> mopping the floor. Uh, mm-hmm. Hash slinging slasher, which is a great one, all contained again within one place within the Krusty Krab. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Valentine's Day episode, which I oh, think yeah. is a, a season one one. That's an earlier one, uh, yes. and that's that's a really funny uh, one with the blimp, uh, the chocolate blimp that SpongeBob gets for Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, Rip Pants, which is uh, also oh, yeah. one of my favorite. I forget what the episode name is, but of course, the song Rip Pants is in it, and yep. uh, they are on the beach, and you know, SpongeBob is uh, is is ripping his pants and then he fakes dying too and everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Sandy, he's trying, he's trying to impress Sandy basically. And you know, she's like, nah, that's not cool. Uh, Cause he can't mm-hmm. lift the weights like Larry, you know? Right. Right. He's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to overcompensate for his, uh, his deficiencies, I guess with comedy, but it uh, doesn't work out. He starts to take things to the extreme. That's an iconic episode too. Just with that song, rip pants. I remember memorizing, we, I used to tape these episodes of SpongeBob and I, I taped that one episode and replayed the song over and over and over again and wrote out my own lyric sheet. This is like before Google, I guess. And uh, I memorized the song that way and I would sing it in class and people were like, you know the words to that song? And I was like, Big yeah. Larry came around just to, just put, to him put him down. down. We learned that song on guitar. We can play that. We can jam to that song sometimes. It's a great one. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. There's also a ton of running gags in the show that I absolutely love that they yep. just nail so well. Obviously, the whole thing with Sandy from Texas. Um, there's the my my leg. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that his name is Fred. That guy. He has a character name. Fred. Yeah, Fred the fish. He, uh, yeah. You'll hear him in quite a few episodes, especially in the first three seasons. It's all. It's like a Wilhelm scream kind of thing where they keep putting mm-hmm. it in, and it's uh, just him saying my leg. Uh, you'll always <laughs> hear it in the background. Uh, one that I caught recently while I was rewatching was Mr. Krabs watches soap operas a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, that is something I completely forgot about, and I was laughing a lot at that. And they yeah. they intrude a couple episodes in a row with him watching on this little tiny tv in his uh, in his office of either yeah. soap operas uh or wrestling matches as well or uh, uh old-time crime shows yeah he's a trash tv yeah. kind of nut yeah <laughs> definitely like he's got his little like portable tv that he has in his office which is awesome when you see him at home he sometimes has things on they reference some sitcoms in the games that we're going to be talking about today too so there's definitely somebody on this or several people on the spongebob show that uh definitely liked old tv shows Oh, definitely. Oh, and one, sorry, my last episode that I wanted to mention, mm-hmm. uh, which actually might be my favorite, you know, it changes all the time, but uh, <laughs> is uh, Squidville, when Squidward moves. Yes, I have that in my honorable mentions list too. This yeah. is just such a great one because uh, it kind of just, it, it's a very different kind of episode, one's uh, all on Squidward uh, basically, mm-hmm. but showing the monotony of life in such a unique way and really a great lesson of, of showing how getting everything you want really leaves you depressed and wanting more. 
Yeah, and being around people, like-minded people, is also not a great thing. Like, it's a good lesson that I think a lot of people today could probably relate yeah. to, honestly. Yeah. And it is a bit like a Black Mirror episode, that one. I have that one on my honorable mentions list. And yeah, he goes to this town where everyone is basically like him. They all eat the same food. They all go to the same aerobics class. <laughs> they all play the clarinet and ride bikes and stuff. And he just, you can see him slowly getting more and more depressed. And you can definitely see that being a Black Mirror episode idea, where people can kind of maybe plug into a virtual world or something where they're only around their own, like, basically the themselves and it's slowly becoming their own hell and uh that's a great episode too uh i have a couple more uh honorable mentions to give we already mentioned sb129 and squidville the name of that episode another one i want to shout out is doodle bob i oh, love yeah. that one <laughs> yeah where they get the magic pencil that came from the overworld an artist is drawing the sea and he drops his pencil in and then they get the pencil and they can draw characters that come to life I remember getting really good at drawing Spongebob, or okay at drawing Spongebob characters when we were kids, but remember, I remember we got really good at drawing Doodle Bob as well. Yeah, I was, I loved drawing Spongebob. It was one of the first things I kind of learned how to draw properly, and I can still yeah. draw Spongebob whenever I go to restaurants and draw it on the the, the paper tables, you know, when yes. I don't have those, I always draw Spongebob. That's one of the first things I do. He's pretty mm-hmm. easy to draw. He's a square. But um, <laughs> I did, uh, is, are those all your honorable mentions, Neil? No, I have a, I have oh, a yeah. couple more here. Keep them going. Definitely, yeah. So my other honorable mention I have is Rock Bottom. Oh, I love that episode. So, so good. Yeah, I love it. Just like he can't communicate with anybody or he's scared of all the locals of Rock Bottom and it turns out they're all perfectly normal, even though he thinks that they're all freaks. I love the scene where he's trying to catch the bus and every time he looks (laughs) away, the bus comes by. Iconic. Yeah, and it's like slightly relatable. Like you know that feeling when you're yeah. waiting for a bus, you go to use the bathroom or something, or you go to check the bus times, and the bus comes and leaves without you. Like it's just it's taken <laughs> to the nth degree, but it's a really funny moment. And uh, even as a child, I thought that was funny. And the last honorable mention that I have here is Sailor Mouth, and that's the one where SpongeBob and Patrick learn swear words. Oh, just because it's something that I had never seen in a cartoon before up until that point. They bleep out the swear words. You can kind of it was really uh, recess talk and uh, playground talk, just us trying to imagine what the words were. Based on what they were saying around it, they bleep it all out with dolphin noises and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but right. uh, I just remember that episode being very different because I, up to that point, I'd only ever watched, you know, Bugs Bunny and Tweety for the most part, and they never say anything remotely offensive in those shows. Uh, maybe they're offensive now, but they don't use any of the swear words, you know. No. So this was the first one where they uh, they do, and it was really good. I remember the rumors of like there being a non-edited version of that episode out there. I don't think it actually does exist, no, but that was it. one of those <laughs> that was one of those playground rumors that everyone wished was true. Another great, I guess, set of episodes to to shout out is the Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy episodes. Oh my god, yes, they're just they're all actually fantastic. Uh, like every single one of them, I laugh so hard every time I see them. Uh, I I was watching them, of course, recently, and they were some of the first ones I watched because I remember as a, as a kid watching SpongeBob, uh, my mom came like running into the room one time when Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy were on, <laughs> and she was like, "Oh my god, like I know who that is, like I know those voices. That's Tim Conway and Ernest Borgnine." Right. And I, you know, I'm like eight years old. I was like, I don't know what that is, who those are. It's just <laughs> and then you know, she was just said, "Oh, they they were on together on the Carol Burnett show." Right. Uh, back in the 70s, I think, and uh, uh, like late 70s, early 80s. And they're basically just doing versions of their characters uh, right. on the Carol Burnett show, but on SpongeBob. And yep. uh, and I watched like a, a bunch of them, and so, especially Tim Conway is definitely playing like the, that's the Barnacle Boy type that mm-hmm. he has on, on the Carol Burnett, Burnett show. It's just a sketch show uh, that right. they would just do random scenes from like a kind of like SNL in that sense. But uh, yeah, it was really funny to see them live in person and do it. Uh, yeah, really yeah. cool and great on um, Nickelodeon and on, of course, the whole team there to get these two to be <laughs> these washed up old right. superheroes. It's <laughs> such a cool way to do it. 
there's like six episodes, I think. Yeah. Where they do, it's Myrtle, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy Part 1, Part 2. I think it goes up to six, but I think it's Part 2 or 3. has my favorite joke in all of SpongeBob, and that's when Man Ray is trying to give Patrick his wallet. That's not my wallet. That's not my wallet, but this has your ID in it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Here it is. It's not mine. And he, like, tries to kill him and stuff. Like, that's just, like, an ultimate joke. I can't even do it justice, but if you're listening to this, you already probably know. But it reminds me also of the um, Catman from... Uh, yes. Fairly Odd Parents being Adam West, like a spoof of Batman. That's where I thought the Mermaid Man and a Barnacle Boy came from. Was supposed to be like a spoof of the '60s Batman cartoon oh, definitely and wh- is, yeah. what it would be like them 50 years later, basically <laughs> just seniors still trying to fight crime, but they're old. Like they they like prune ice cream and kale bits and everything. It's just it's a really funny gag that goes on and on and on. Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy with the the talking fish that comes out. That's yep. and, uh, Mr. Lawrence who also voices Plankton does the talking mm-hmm. fish. That's yep. such a cool. Like little tidbit to have in that show as uh, that that the fish is the reporter and it's an actual like just picture of a fish. (laughs) Yeah, it's a talking talking fish head, which is like a novelty item that you would see at like a souvenir shop. Is a character on the show and he's also the news reporter. Like him and Perch Perkins, I guess, are the two news reporters in the show. It's so well done, just very good. And you know it's plankton, but you don't really know it until like you. You, once you notice it, you can't unsee it. But when when I was a kid, I didn't notice that no. Plankton was doing this at all. No, of course not. It, yeah. Just genius writing in that sense. The, the last oh, yeah. thing I want to talk about is I was I actually had the chance in 2005. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Neil. One of the coolest trips of my life. I got to go to Universal Studios and uh, mm-hmm. I got to stay at the Nick Hotel uh, yeah. at the Nickelodeon Resort, which doesn't actually exist anymore. The building's still there. They changed it. There was a big water park inside the resort that uh, had a massive bucket at the top, and the bucket was supposed to be slime. It was the green-colored water that would come and dunk on everyone, and all the kids would, like, stand under it and wait for the bucket to come and dump, like, fake slime on you. Turn you green, like everyone goes home looking like the Grinch. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) But that was so cool, and we were in the SpongeBob wing, of course, because I love Mm -hmm. SpongeBob, and uh, I got to be in a SpongeBob room. Like, it was SpongeBob everything in there. They had... All these SpongeBob comics and magazines oh and like God. every it was one of the coolest things for a eleven year old or twelve year old I think I was at the time uh, definitely at the tail end of SpongeBob but it was uh, I mm-hmm. still you know loved it and was like oh my God this is amazing. 2005 was definitely like the end of the peak for us. It was on the downhill part, but I, I still was very much into, invested oh, yeah. in the show. I'm still invested now, but like the, <laughs> I know, new, the, right? <laughs> the new stuff, we were still into it quite a bit. You brought me home a SpongeBob pen, I remember, from that trip. I still have oh. it. It's uh, it's at my parents' house somewhere. I'll nice. show it to you sometime. If, do you remember that? I do. I, I Didn't I bring you home the um, a little stuffed, uh, stuffed SpongeBob, too? You gave that to me for my birthday. Oh, yeah. The Spon- you waited. Yeah, SpongeBob yeah. Frankenstein, I think. Yep. I still have that, too. That's nice. somewhere in my parents' house. I think we, we bring it out at Halloween, basically. Yeah. I also have a Christmas one. I don't know where I got that from, but we tried to surround our entire lives with SpongeBob stuff. Like, I, I had SpongeBob in 2005. I bought SpongeBob bedding, and I had that for years, like, through high, through high school, I think, until, like, grade 12. My mom was like, you're too old for this. Uh, <laughs> but I still have the pillowcases at my parents' house. We don't have the quilt anymore. It's a sad story. I don't have it anymore. That's the end of that. But, uh, yeah, like, we would we'd buy the seasons, of course, and, like, I had SpongeBob stickers and joke books, and we would color with it. We even created our own spongebob spin-off series uh, do you remember this we did sponge wars where we made we did like a crossover of spongebob and star wars uh I do you have any of those drawings still because i don't i actually was at my parents house last weekend and i was looking mm. for some of the stuff and I, I did not find it but i'm sure it's there it's definitely i never threw them out so they okay. definitely exist in the house somewhere 
Yeah, you keep everything, which I, I appreciate because I throw out so much stuff. It's kind of sad. But we basically made SpongeBob being Luke Skywalker. Plankton was Darth Vader. I think yeah. Han Solo was pa- Patrick Starr. Every character had a Star Wars counterpart, basically. And we made our own little drawings and battle scenes and like comic book panels and everything else. It was just such a fun time to, to be a kid, for sure, growing up with SpongeBob. I'm really glad that we had him. But we also had some video games, Mike. I want to talk about some of the SpongeBob video games before we dive into the GameCube games. Uh, there are 29 uh, official SpongeBob games. Games. Plus, there's a bunch of browser games, arcade games, mobile games. Plus, there's one new SpongeBob game on the way. Mm-hmm. The very first game was SpongeBob SquarePants Legend of the Lost Spatula on Game Boy Color. It's not great and published by THQ. Vicarious Visions actually developed all the SpongeBob games up t- until Battle for Bikini Bottom, uh, which was their last SpongeBob game and arguably their best, obviously. Uh, THQ published all of the SpongeBob games up until 2013, which is when the franchise was passed on to Activision, but I don't think anybody remembers that era of SpongeBob (laughs) games all that well. But yeah, 29 games, and uh, I think you might have a list there of a breakdown of all the games, Mike. Did you want to go through a few of them? Yeah, I'll go uh, through a few of them here. I got all the ones on Nintendo platforms, which is about 15. We got, of Mm. course, the one on Game Boy Color. Like you said, we have Super Sponge on the GBA. Don't know what that is. Uh, (laughs) uh, We got the ones on GameCube that we'll be talking about today, of course. We have the Yellow Adventure which also came out in the in between the GameCube era there in 2005 on DS and PSP. Mm-hmm. I never played that game, but I know of it. I always see it uh, yeah. in, in stores. There's, of course, uh, uh, Atlantis Square Pantis okay. on the Wii in 2007. I don't know that one. Truth or Square, also on the Wii. Boating yeah. Bash, which I guess is a racing game on the Wii. Uh, SpongeBob Squiggle Pants, uh, 2011 on the Wii. Uh, mm-hmm. Plankton's Robotic Revenge. Uh, which is really the first mainline game that we get in about six years, and that's okay. on the Wii in 2013, like I said. Uh, Krusty Cookoff, which is the newest game, so seven years, 2020, on the Switch. Uh, oh. And then we're also getting, yeah, the Cosmic Shake game uh, coming out maybe in 2023. We'll have to see what happens there. But we did get the rehydrated version of Battle for Bikini Bottom, which a lot of people were, were claiming for for a long time. And in between all those as well, we did get a bunch of Nicktoons games. We talked about those right. on uh, the Nickelodeon episode, where of course it prominently features SpongeBob, but also features people like Danny Phantom, Timmy Turner, Jimmy Neutron. And they made, I think, th- uh, four or five of those games and a couple for specifically for uh, the handheld uh, consoles as well. Yeah, we talked about some of the Nicktoons games on our Nickelodeon episode as well. And SpongeBob, of course, has also appeared in the Nickelodeon Kart Racer and that Brawl game that came out earlier or late last I played year. It. I played it yesterday, actually. Oh, and uh, in one word, how is it? Uh, Great. Okay. Uh, my- <laughs> <laughs> Those two words. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's fair enough. Um, but most of the games, uh, the great SpongeBob games at least, were released between 2001 and 2008. The frequency of those games did slow down quite a bit in the 2010s and basically all but stalled mm-hmm. from 2015 to the uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom remake. Uh, other than the mobile games, there really wasn't much, but there were so many games between 2001 yeah. and 2008, just basically two or three a year between Game Boy Advance, GameCube, uh, DS, and Wii, uh, absolutely. And we played a lot of them back in the day on GameCube and Game Boy Advance. It's kind of funny because the games all had cross- cross-platform 
uh, releases, PC, handheld, and console, and they're all very different. If you were to play a handheld SpongeBob game on Game Boy Advance, you're probably going to get a 2D brawler platforming game. If you play it on PS2 or GameCube or Xbox, you're probably going to get a 3D platformer collectathon action adventure kind of game. And if you were to pick it up on PC, you'd probably be getting some kind of point and click adventure game. Yeah. So there really were like three different, at least three different experiences for every game that they released, which is which is crazy. But that's why the games had so many different developers and uh, many different release dates. But for the most part, we played all of these games on console, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, they were all budget titles too. Most of the console games were released at $40. Uh, the PC games were around $20. So very affordable games, very uh, easy digestible and uh, easy pickups for parents to pick up for us at Christmas and birthdays, which was nice. Yeah, I got a couple of these games for sure and rented them from Blockbuster as well. But uh, I think, Neil, it's time to dive into our first game for SpongeBob game of the day. All right, Mike, that sounds good. Let's dive in, no pun intended, <laughs> to SpongeBob SquarePants Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, which was released on December 18th, 2002. Terrific. Developed by Big Sky Software, who also developed the Jimmy Neutron games. Published by THQ. It's also on PS2 and Game Boy Advance. Rates a 7 out of 10, which is pretty generous. Mm -hmm. Priced today at around $35. And this is the first 3D SpongeBob game. As I said, the first game being a 2D game on Game Boy Color. Mike, was this one of the games that you picked up back in the day? I rented this one. This is a Blockbuster game. Good. I uh, got, okay. got this on Blockbuster at uh, Blockbuster. And I think that was the right move for sure. Because yep. this game isn't bad. At all. It's not a bad game. It's just mediocre in comparison to all the other SpongeBob games that came after it. Mm -hmm. And a big reason for this, I did a lot of research this week because I kind of remembered the game, but not really. So I went back and looked at a lot of footage. And one of the big things was actually about uh, Big Sky Interactive. So, of course, you said they did the Jimmy World games that came out as well. But... Uh, Jimmy Neutron games. Or, oh, my God. I said Jimmy <laughs> World <laughs> I wish there was a Jimmy World game. My God. Uh, Good slip of the tongue. <laughs> they did one of the Jimmy Neutron games. So they actually only made two games. Uh, and uh, they were making the Jimmy Neutron and SpongeBob games at the same time. But there was a lot of uh, back and forth between them and THQ uh, long story short, something crazy or some crazy stuff happened and uh, THQ didn't like working with them and they got blacklisted by THQ. Oh. So they couldn't really get any uh, any work for from the rest of the industry and then they folded. Uh, wow. And one of the reasons is the fact that there was a lot of delays and they didn't love the engine. So Big Sky had to kind of remake their own engine. Uh, because they were actually a different company before Big Sky, and they kind of just spun off uh, and created Big Sky Interactive. And you can kind of tell the engine looks a little bit haphazard. It's not; yeah. It doesn't look fully finished. The character models also, uh, they go for this attempted realism look, mm -hmm. if, if you know what I mean. And this yep. was a tough time for 3D games that were, you know, taking a cartoon, a 2D cartoon, and trying to make them 3D. We talked a lot about this on the Simpsons episode, for example, where it was quite weird to see Homer as a 3D character, but you, you, you got over it pretty quickly because the gameplay was good and the character mm -hmm. models worked for that environment. I find for Flying Dutchman, they don't work as well. They look a little too sharp. If you know what I mean, Neil? Yeah, definitely. They didn't go the route of just going full cell shading, which yeah. is what a lot of cartoons did back in this day, like The Simpsons, like you said, or even a lot of uh, a lot of Nickelodeon games, like Fairly Odd Parents, did the same thing, where it was that was cell shading. And this SpongeBob games, they're never fully cell shaded. There's usually a little bit of cell shading in the levels, specifically like with boats or with backgrounds. But the characters themselves, you're right, they kind of take on this. CGI semi it's like a soft look you know it is like... it's it's different than the cartoons for sure it does take some getting used to especially when you're playing 
the other games are going to be talking about. But with this one, they don't look good. Like, no. I can see what they were going for, but, like, it's kind of creepy when you're looking at the characters <laughs> head on. The pupils kind of float, and they don't line yeah. up properly, which is somewhat terrifying. I had to go back, and because I was thinking, like, did we never get, like, an N64 SpongeBob game? Because SpongeBob came out in 99, N64 was, what, 95, 96? So it's kind of weird that we didn't get one, just SpongeBob being such a massive success almost right away, making billions of millions of billions of dollars. It's kind of weird that we didn't get a really high-quality SpongeBob game until way later. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing for me that uh, stood out compared to some of the other games is that SpongeBob is way floatier in this game yes. than he is in the other games. I know you said the engine for this one was not well-received by THQ or Nickelodeon, probably, and that's one of the things that changes. But uh, Big Sky Interactive did have a huge lift trying to convert this game for the first time ever to uh, to a video game. That's not a small feat to do. So they didn't know exactly how the characters should act on screen, how they should play, because you'd probably think, yeah, SpongeBob should be a pretty floaty platformer, but they definitely add some weight to him in later games, which helps because they come they become way more combat-oriented. Yeah, they definitely paved the way for sure here. Yeah, like you said, it's a pretty thankless job to take something like SpongeBob, yep. you know, who's just massive at this point and had kind of just come out a couple of years before and, yeah, make a game out of it. And, you know, it's funny because the, the game reviewed really weirdly. I'm not sure if you, you looked at all the different reviews, but uh, basically the game that we're talking about today, so the, the one on GameCube, was rated quite high. It was in the sevens for the most part, sometimes even the 7.5, close to 8. Uh, GameCube definitely the preferred way to play it. For the PS2, quite low. We're looking at fives, and for the PC, we're looking at threes and fours. It's uh, mm-hmm. not great ratings there. And the PS2 version, I think the reason why those ratings are low, because uh, they had a loading screen glitch, yes. which would sometimes corrupt your save data, so that's just terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. That's the type of thing that QA should definitely have weeded out <laughs> way before the game was launched, so that's just bad. Yeah, and well, I mean, and the re- isn't the release date like December? Isn't that what you said? December a week before 8th? Christmas Day, to be exact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not a good release date in that sense. Maybe <laughs> they, they they were like, oh, we just gotta put it out at this point. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the presentation in general, you know, even the HUD, like the the font on the HUD, uh, it just it's very it leaves a lot up to the imagination, almost. You know, it, there's not For a sure. lot going on. It, it feels cheap in that sense. And again, this is all in comparison to the other games. I think if this came out and this was the only SpongeBob game on the market, I would be seeing a lot of different things. But we mm-hmm. now know that there are other SpongeBob games in the world that are much better. And <laughs> uh, and they nail presentation, especially for the game that we'll be talking about next. Like that has the best yep. presentation of maybe any cartoon tie-in game other than uh, Hit and Run that I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about the uh, the later games for sure, but just a few more things about mm-hmm. this game. I don't want to trash in it for too long yeah. because it isn't a, like you said, it's not a terrible game. It's just, it's missing some things that the later better games have. And that's some things like combat. There's very little to no combat in almost any levels in this game. It's almost completely platforming and collecting, collecting things, uh, which makes it actually a pretty good game for kids, I suppose, which is what they probably thought that they were aiming for uh, to begin with. But really most of the people playing this game were probably in their 10, you know, 10 to 20 years old, uh, which is uh, too bad. Um, the music is also incredibly repetitive. There's only five songs in the game, uh, and they all play based on a level or a costume that you're wearing slash playing. Uh, and every time you go through a load screen, which they are frequent, or if you talk to an NPC, which is also frequent, the song starts again 
which is incredibly uh, irritating. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but you would hear the same 10 seconds for songs almost on repeat throughout an entire level, and it's just not its not good. It's not fun. This is definitely, if you're going to go back and play this game, which you probably could, uh, I would recommend playing it on mute and listen to a podcast while you're playing it for <laughs> sure. But luckily, it's only three and a half to four hours long, so you can be in and out in probably a day if you really want to. Yeah, honestly, yeah, it is definitely a short game. Uh, like you said, he is floaty. The controls are fine. That is one thing that I noticed replaying is that the controls are actually okay. They don't mm-hmm. hold the game down, which a lot of controls in this era definitely did. Um, the costume tents are kind of cool. They give you different abilities. There's the jellyfish costume, which is basically what you need all the time. Uh, I don't remember wearing anything else other than the mermaid costume, mermaid man costume, just because okay. that looked cool. But I'm not sure. <laughs> I think you just throw. Uh, like water balls, basically. That's like the power up you get when you wear the Mermaid Man costume. But okay. the jellyfish costume or jellyfish fishing costume is uh, to catch jellyfish, which you need for basically the entire game. Uh, so that's okay. super important. And there's yeah, the reef blower. That's the other one. Uh, hmm. You can have the reef blower. Nice little callback to the 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 Squidville episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something that all these games do really well is that they all do really great references and callbacks to the episodes that the games are based on. Like you're gonna find a lot of cool SpongeBob references in all of these games. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, they just get better, honestly, in that sense. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think. That is all I have for Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. Also, Flying Dutchman, great character, not used very well in this game. Uh, I was just thinking that. Uh, you know, because I, I love the Flying Dutchman in the actual series. He's such a cool, almost like great gazoo in the Flintstones who comes back <laughs> for very specific episodes. But the ones that he's in are so funny. Yeah, he's almost like an audience, I guess, uh, avatar. Like, he, yeah. he kind of understands that everyone are kind of nuts. And, like, he, <laughs> he's not smart, but he, he does understand that whenever he's talking to SpongeBob or Patrick, they're all pretty stupid. He's not in, <laughs> even in a lot of episodes either, which no. is the thing. Like, he might be in one episode a season, if that, in the first couple of seasons, maybe two episodes. And he never has – I think he has one big episode, and then he might just cameo in a few of the other episodes. He's kind of like the uh, – I was going to say, like, Bob Sacamano of Spongebob. Well, that's why I said Gazoo. He's just Great like, Gazoo, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But one one last thing that I think this game was missing is, or two things the game was missing real quick, is multiplayer. This game is a yeah. single-player-only game. Spongebob, if you're a kid, you're going to want to play a Spongebob game with friends. Those games come later, but still, a first outing for the character would have been good to have had some multiplayer modes in there. Even if it's just a kart racing mode or some kind of co-op, uh, battling each other kind of game would be really neat. And also, they didn't get all of the original character actors or voice actors to play the characters here. Like, Mr. Krabs is not the correct voice actor, which is really strange. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really strange one. He sounds awful, also. Yep. And it's strange, Absolutely. too, because um, uh, Mr. Krabs is voiced by Clancy Brown. He's a great voice actor, and we've talked about him a lot in this show. He's on, he's in a ton of video games in this era. He lends his voice to so many things. So it was really odd that Clancy Brown wasn't the voice of Mr. Krabs, even though he was already in tons of video games in the early 2000s already. Yeah, I know. They eventually get him at some point, so I don't know if maybe he was having health issues or he was just preoccupied with another gig, but it was weird that like for the first two big SpongeBob games, he's not there, but he shows up later, which is good, but... Mike, I think it's time that we get to some of these good games that we've been referencing for the entire episode here. Why don't I hit the back of the case for SpongeBob Revenge of the Flying Dutchman, and we'll move on to our next game. What do you think? (laughs) Curses. SpongeBob accidentally releases the Flying Dutchman from a magic bottle. Now, the ghostly pirate has cast a wicked curse upon SpongeBob's friends. The only way to lift the curse is to join an underwater adventure full of nautical nonsense that has SpongeBob searching for lost treasures. 
you're good. You're good. You're good. That's, that's my favorite flying uh, Dutchman um, uh, episode of when, when Patrick and SpongeBob have to be in his crew, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to wreak, uh, wreak havoc on the world while at night and everything, and there being terrible ghosts and everything. Yeah, he's a great, he's a great character, no doubt. But moving on to a great game here is SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom was released on October 31st, 2003, Halloween. Developed by Heavy Iron Studios, they also made The Incredibles. Published by THQ, also on PS2, Xbox, Windows PC, and Game Boy Advance. Rates a 7.5 out of 10, priced today at around $25. And this is what most people consider to be the best SpongeBob game of all time. Mike, do you agree with that? I yeah, I mean, I think I would. Uh, it's it's debatable because there's three really good games in this episode that we'll be talking about, and this yeah. is definitely one of them. It's it's such a cool, uh, different game in the sense of you know you have to remember we're like backtracking here. Yeah, the history of cartoon kids games at this point, they're mostly all awful. Like, they're not <laughs> good. Uh, they're obviously fun to play well, for a kid. Yeah. And, like, they're they're not um, they're not trying to make anything else. Just They're just trying to make money, honestly. The publishers sure. are just saying, we have this license. We have a engine that can use this kind of platforming tool that just put it out and make your money and put another one out later. And that was basically the idea of it. Nothing was trying to go too far and beyond. But, you know, here we are with... Uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom, and then Simpsons Hit and Run, which actually came out within like two weeks of each other, Neil. Which yep. I think is just crazy because both these games are very similar, and the, the way that they they kind of tackle the cartoon tie-in world is very similar as well. Where they're basically just trying to make uh, an episode out of a video game, and that was right. what, the the biggest thing that that makes this game so special. Yeah, Heavy Iron Studios and THQ as well, they seem to have a really good uh, track record of making, taking a franchise and making basically an episode or a long movie based on the franchise, like they also did Incredibles, which we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, but the movie game is really good, but they also make a second, basically sequel to yeah. The Incredibles uh, with that game, but uh, Heavy Iron Studios, they also made Scooby-Doo Night of 100 Frights. And the SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom is based on the same game engine. And the Scooby-Doo games are, like you said, they're just children's cartoon tie-ins. But they do feel like you're playing an episode of, of Scooby-Doo. And they did mm-hmm. a really good job of that. So, like we've said before, like we don't like the uh, the, the adage that every, car- every movie tie-in is trash from this era. There are good ones. You just have to find them. And there's so much charm in this game. Like, just it was kind of clear that these are the same guys who made the Scooby-Doo game because I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but they had a similar thing where uh, when you play the game on a certain day of the year, there's fireworks outside of the castle that Scooby-Doo is standing outside of in the opening screen. Right. Same thing happens in this game, too. They, they added a same kind of Easter egg to it where the color attack of a tubelet robot changes. Uh, they fire fire at you. On January 1st, it's rainbow color for New Year's Day. On March 17th, it's green for St. Patty's Day. On April 1st, it's pink for April Fool's Day on July 4th, red, white, and blue for Independence Day, and on October 31st, it's orange for Halloween. So it's just like cool stuff like that so that they cool. added into the game. There's also a ton of other references to other franchises that I want to talk about a little bit later, but there's little charms like that that you can add. And on top of that, it's just a terrific 3D platforming game mixed with the uh, light combat elements as well. It definitely is, and there's also a really interesting story behind why this game has survived for so long, and it has a massive speedrunning community, Neil. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to bring on uh, a guest that we've had on on the show before who has a speedrunning podcast, uh, Luigi, who's going to come on today and talk a little bit about Battle for Bikini Bottom. So Luigi, our first question to you is, who is your favorite SpongeBob character? Uh, Oh, uh, Patrick. Nice. And and is there a reason for that? I mean... Patrick's the best. I don't know. I mean, maybe Gary, but... 
Patrick does have like a lot of the greatest moments in SpongeBob episodes, like picking up the phone, like, hello, is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Patrick. Like just, he's got so many of those quotes. He's really good. Like the show is very rarely ever about SpongeBob, you know, like it's almost always about the side characters and that's the sign of a good show. Yeah. You know, he's the, he's the every man <laughs> that gets put into the weird situations, even though he's like kind of beyond every man. He's a lot, he's a lot of. He's many every men all at once. There's a lot going on with SpongeBob. They're all barely self-sufficient. I think one of my favorite episodes that we didn't actually mention, Neil, uh, is the one that is actually all about Patrick, and it's when Patrick's family comes uh, to, to to visit him, and then it just randomly turns out that it's not his family. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We don't we don't have any kids, and he's like, oh yeah, and then they leave yeah. and everything. That's actually a really funny episode. That's a good one, too. I love Patrick's fake parents. You eventually meet his real parents, but yeah, that's a good one. It's stuff like that that just makes the show so unique, like, in that way. Like, you'll, you'll never see that in any other cartoon that was on in that era. Like, that's just the writers getting around and being like, Yo, you okay to just do this? It's like, okay, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah. And they went and they went with it. But then they also made a video game based on the SpongeBob SquarePants license, uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom, which is considered amongst most fans the greatest SpongeBob game of all time, one of uh, the, the biggest 3D platformers of all time, and big in the speedrunning community, which is why we brought Luigi on today to talk about it. Luigi, what are your earliest memories of playing Battle for Bikini Bottom? You you, you gave me this homework <laughs> in my first episode when I was on for Pikmin 2. Mm-hmm. When I brought up that I had done uh, that, I do a speedrun show. You were like, "Oh, oh, battle! We should have you on for battle for Bikini Bottom." It's like I should learn about that game. Then, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been slowly looking into it over the months. Yeah, I've never played that game before. <laughs> yeah, you were voluntold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, because because I know I know of the of the game, you know, in it in its proximity to speedrunning, mm-hmm. you know, and the the existence of it because at some point like that's just kind of how it came to a lot of people's attention was oh people are playing this game and speed running it yeah yeah it has a huge speed running community over the years it's just it's slowly snowballed into one of the bigger speed running games that i've found at least in the gamecube library it seems like everyone every year is beating the the high speed uh, so to speak in the game now the fastest one that i could find was 43 minutes and 27 seconds i believe is the fastest time to beat it now this probably game probably shift that's the one yeah sh lowercase yeah, okay. ift i believe is the way that it's spelled but that was just recently too. beat it in 43 minutes and 27 seconds now have you come across like what the main exploits are for for speed running this game oh man um <laughs> this game has a it's it's very the thing about the story of this game and how it's run evolved. It's very similar to a lot of you know I guess lower profile mm-hmm. games. Um, you know, not many people are looking at it. It's not written off as or it's written off as you know a licensed whatever or not worthy of attention for whatever reason. Yeah, it grow it grows a community and and has something grow around it. Like I think the the biggest thing right off the bat is like hand disabling. So when you when you try and go out of bounds, like the hand pops up, right? Like mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and so that's mm-hmm. just what like if you fall off a cliff or you just go somewhere you're not supposed to be or is yeah, it basically, just... yeah. Okay, just trying trying to make sure that you don't get turned around. Yeah, uh, you disable that within like five seconds. <laughs> or within a okay. minute or something how do you disable it what does that mean like you can glitch it out or yeah yeah so like you can go if you go through a loading zone at the exact same time i believe as 
you try and go out of bounds or something like that. You can confuse the game into either doing the hand once and thinking the hand is still out. Mm. Uh, basically, the game, yeah, just doesn't redo the hand ever again, which creates like vast implications across <laughs> the game because it seems like this world is just always loaded in and you're just walking around and the only thing that's in your way are you know golden spatula gates and i think that was one of the big reasons why this became big in the speedrunning community because i was going to ask you that as well like um like how people end up picking games to to speedrun and i guess one of the big reasons for this is the fact that yeah the world is mostly if not all almost all of it is loaded in uh, at every level mm-hmm yeah, with with hand disabling, you can you can basically run around the bosses, you know, the, their doors. Yes, it, it yeah. takes a while, but you can you can a big roundabout way you can get into the second and third zones early. Um, I don't think they do it that way anymore because of something we'll talk about later. Mm. But it, it leads to a lot of breaking, getting spatulas before you're supposed to be able to, which. You can. This game has fast traveling in it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, through the boxes, which is like, like I've played this game a bunch, but the traditional way of playing games, where I just kind of go through it at my own speed, I'm I do the combat regularly, and yeah, the um, there's the boxes that open up, and that's how you can kind of fast track between parts of the levels. But is there a way to use that to your advantage earlier on? Like, do you not have to uh, unlock them all before using them? So the boxes exist. They're just like within the world, and that's a they also use that to to catch up right. or to get somewhere. But you can actually go into your menu and click on a golden spatula and warp to where you got that quest right from the menu. Mm -hmm. And you only need to talk to the NPC that gives you the quest. Once you get the quest, you get the the fast travel point. If you grab the spatula in a way you're not supposed to, and the quest giver is way far ahead of you, you can then just jump right into the next area, get that quest, or, or where you would have gotten the quest, and you've skipped a whole bunch of stuff. Ooh. And so it opens up these, these routing possibilities where like someone now has to figure this out um, and figure out like what is the best way to put all of this together. And so, yeah, the game is kind of weird in that way where it, it's this kind of fun little routing puzzle early on before they really, like, start to find some of the crazy stuff. It's really interesting to also watch how people uh, use SpongeBob's jumps to his advantage. Because, mm -hmm. like, you know, in the game, normally you got your little double jump, but that's it. That's all I ever do. Uh, but then you watch how they're able to do these other motions and kind of, like, flip them around and, and, and stuff, too, and get these, like, insanely long jumps to go, especially in the early platform levels where you're in Squidward's, like, musical zone. I don't know what you could, yeah. what, what the actual uh, level is called, Neil, but um, you know what I mean. I think it's Squidward's dream. Yeah, it's um yeah. Uh, and it's you know he's going on the multiple dream. Yeah, he's going on the clarinet and all the musical like note areas and most of it is just bypassing that entire area by doing these insane aerial jumps that remind me of kind of Mario 64. And the, mm -hmm. it's just really, really incredible to watch these guys when they do these speed runnings. There's quite a few games down quick uh, versions of this as well. And I was watching a couple of those. And my God, like it's uh, it's pretty cool to watch uh, them just make these insane jumps. Literally jump over the entire level if you're timing the jumps and using certain button prompts properly. Yeah. And, and not spending any of your currency to mm -hmm. gain right. access to get that golden spatula. 
Right. Yeah, like there's a whole bunch of like different ways of doing things. I know that like this game has different, even within the speedrunning community, they have like certain rules where it's like, okay, well you, you beat the game by not using this, this glitch or you beat the game by not yeah. using that glitch. And like, there's like sub communities within the sub community, which is really funny. And I guess that's kind of a question for speedrunning in general. And that is how do gamers find this game? Like to get invested in, like, why did, why did battle for bikini bottom mm-hmm. become a target for speedrunning? Well, the, the, the best way it, it starts is with someone finally was like, look, I will make a route for this. That That's usually the hardest step is, is you know, okay. people will be like, I, I would like to see this game speed run. And someone finally has to go, OK, here, <laughs> I will make a route that probably isn't the best, but it's a start. With that, within a year of that happening is when like hand disabling was found, because the more eyes you get on a game. It's like it's practically a natural law of speedrunning. The more people playing the game, the more chances you have for mutations or new finds or new glitches or you know whatever. Mm. Yeah, like I'm watching the game right now, and it's like they're they're exploring parts of the level that really are just the environment. Like they shouldn't even be able to go yeah. up this pole, but they are. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the early stuff was when you see people going fast. It was like damage boost, a lot of momentum tricks, mm-hmm. uh, things you would have to set up to then get like a big backward push across something. And that's still used in the early run these days. So when they were skipping around uh, past the boss fights, the boss fights give you two power ups. They give you like a, a bubble you can shoot and then mm-hmm. a bowling ball. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, someone because a lot of people start were starting to play this game more and more. It's also very esoteric. The reason this game was kind of slow to to build a following is because it's it's tough to describe some of the frame perfect inputs you have to do sure, yeah. in a 60 fps game where you have 160th of a second to nail it. <laughs> and so it, it's just tough to get some of this across to people. So there was a big barrier to it. But someone figured out that you, if you did it on the same frame, both of your power-ups, you could cancel out of the bowling animation, depending on what frame you're on, because the bowling animation gives you momentum. Mm. This okay. glitch doubles that momentum. So you can use this against like straight surfaces where like if you have like lateral it, it works differently too. Sometimes it's vertical momentum. There is like momentum storage in this. A lot of 3D games play with building momentum, so, you know, in some way. Sometimes being able to store it and then move yourself and release that. This game does it in some really weird ways. But that means you need 40 golden spatulas to get this right. trick. And so then you have to basically okay. go out and try and get those golden spatulas by doing these uh, jumps and, you know, obviously the hand disabling to find these and, and quickly mm-hmm. go through levels. Yeah. It also leads to having to figure out which golden spatulas truly benefit from later in the run when you have this mm-hmm. <laughs> game-breaking technique and which ones would be fine and faster to just jump around the map and get the ones you, you need until you're ready to to open up the Pandora's hell box <laughs> with, this, with this trick. That's one of my favorite things about speedrunning and the speedrunning community, for especially for games like this, is the fact that it kind of brings to light 
like very good games when they are there underneath. Because mm-hmm. if you're speedrunning a game, you basically have to learn a game inside and out. You have to learn everything about the game in terms of how it plays, where you can get those secrets, where you can get those glitches. Yes. Uh, and you spend a lot of time just, you know, kind of diving through the game and understanding it. And because of that, the we kind of got a side effect of speedrunning, uh, the speedrunning community for this game who realized, like, wow, this is actually a really good game. And it was reappraised actually by quite a lot of reviewers when the speedrunning craze for this was kind of starting to happen, mm-hmm. which I think was in the like 2017, uh, 16 is when it kind of hit its peak. And then you started getting calls to get this game remade. And of course it did get remade uh, eventually yeah. as uh, as uh, the rehydrated version. And I just think that's pretty awesome because uh, like Neil and I, are going to be talking about there's you know, five SpongeBob games for the GameCube and all of them are, are decently good and it's like some are better than others, but it would have been a tough call for THQ to figure out like which game do we remaster if they remaster any and spe- the speeding right. running if community. They, if they did any of them. Which... Exactly, which was a big if. Right. Yeah. And the fact that the speedrunning community brought this to light for other people. Yeah. There are other properties they still own that people would like to see a remaster of than that isn't like a licensed game because usually yes. licensed gaming have a well-deserved stigma to them. <laughs> yeah. I like, I can't, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of any licensed games that have actually gotten remade now that I think about it, Neil. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the uh, destroy all humans is one. And they've also oh, yeah. done kingdoms of Amal or reckoning. Like that was another THQ. So THQ Nordic are going through the past catalog, but they are mainly remaking the games, not based on licenses. They're making original THQ games. So it's interesting that they've gone back and remade a licensed SpongeBob game. And like, we have a bunch more to talk about today, but I don't think that they would have done any of them had the speedrunning community not latched on to battle for bikini bottom, because it is a beloved game, uh, no doubt amongst the SpongeBob community. But without that speedrunning community keeping it alive, I don't think I don't think it would have had a chance of being remade. There's I think no they would have chance. just jumped back to doing uh, new SpongeBob games. Like we're going to see the Cosmic Shake come out later on this year, and obviously oh, there's the no chance that game happens. What the Cosmic Shake? Uh, the <laughs> oh new- yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Absolutely no chance that game happens if Bikini Bottom doesn't blow up and rehydrate it doesn't happen 100 like, percent. yeah yeah no they because this isn't you know we're talking about thq but this isn't thq this is thq nordic which right. was formerly just nordic and they put thq in their name when they bought a ton of their stuff mm-hmm. uh their old ips after thq you know went under so they're just looking for cheap things that have somewhat of a cult following that will bring in a profit mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just too much if they don't already know that there is a desire for this game, you know, in the community around it. So, yeah, and the game, the remake, the uh, TH, the Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated, it only sold over just over two million copies uh, as of you know came out almost two years ago. So that's not terrific. Like for THQ, the original sold like. 3.3 yeah. <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, the original sold way better, and more than half of those were on PS2, I think. So the original yeah. sold very well. The remake sold worse, which is not great. So it's not looking good for other SpongeBob games, and I don't think the speedrunning community is as big on those other SpongeBob games anyway, so I guess it, it doesn't matter too yeah. much. It's 
it's just kind of funny that they only stuck to this one Battle for Bikini Bottom game and didn't go to the movie game, which is based on, like, it's set on the same engine, I believe, and it's the same developers and everything. I'm sure that there probably is a way to speedrun the movie game if you want to, but I'm sure it just seems like do. Battle for Bikini Bottom is the target of of the community. And Luigi, I wanted to ask you something, just as, like, an outsider to speedrunning, I noticed that it looks like a lot of the speedrunning community targeted games are everything GameCube era and younger or older, I guess, sorry. So from NES, SNES, N64, GameCube, I haven't seen a lot of popular speedrunning games based in the eighth generation or the PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, Xbox One. Are those games just like not old enough yet? Or are those games not as, I guess, uh, attractive to the speedrunning community? There's more of a desire these days to play games that are newer to run games that are newer whereas when those games were coming out and speed running was like really starting to uh, uh you know approach more like not mainstream because it wouldn't do that for a while but like in the late aughts like more and more people were starting to pay attention to speed runs uh those the games that were being played then were mostly retro games mm-hmm. like the first gdq right. was was just supposed to be at a a retro fest so it was a classic games done quick and so yeah Mm -hmm. a lot of those games just still have a following or were what people were running or these days when you when you talk about gamecube it's you know what people grew up playing and so as time goes on people who grew up playing 360 ps3 games maybe those will get like a a bigger resurgence but um as far as you know ps4 and ps4 or Xbox One, Switch, like yeah, those are, those all have healthy gaming, you know, or speed run communities around games that are, were brand new for those systems. Uh, a new game comes out that you know has a certain kind of movement or appeal to it, it it'll get a community around it relatively quickly. I guess it's just time that's going to take for like mm-hmm. like a Battle for Bikini Bottom, but today's version of that to to get a speed mm-hmm. running community in like fifteen years. It's going to be funny. Like I do hear about. Games like Breath of the Wild getting hey, a, this what the remake was actually really, really good. <laughs> it's not out of the realm of possibility to think like in 2040 we're talking about like Balan Wonderland as a speedrunning community's <laughs> yeah. dream or something like a game like that to come out later. But I do hear you know stories of you the, the dark. No, you never know. But the stories of like the Dark Souls games and the Bloodborne's and everything like I hear like people speedrunning those. Um, but those are like just because they're already challenging. So it's like kind of fun to know how long it like how quickly can you do it. But like a SpongeBob game or a THQ game from back in the day, those games usually weren't that long to begin with. So it's like really how much faster do you want to beat a three and a half hour game? Like, do you want to get done it in a half an hour? I guess so. But it, it's it's fun <laughs> when you hear when you hear someone, oh, you know, they beat uh, they beat Breath of the Wild in like 11 seconds. And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, like that's that's entertaining for me. But it's just funny when like these random games that come out and like in all honesty probably should have just died yeah. in 2006 like when the gamecube died have stayed alive and yeah. I, I can't wait to see what those games are going to be on ps3 through ps5 it's going to be really cool to see as an older gamer if you want to know why battle for bikini bottom specifically has a following and the other ones don't one i know that the lead developer on this uh worked his ass off uh, he he made like a I don't know if he, he didn't make a physics engine, but the way he designed the movement and and things, the the community all says like even before he came out and said that like that someone spent a lot of time on this. Like there's something mm-hmm. different about the way this game feels. In adding to that, some of the best speed games out there have a diverse tool set, if you will. 
think of like a Mario 3D platformer. There's like a million things Mario can do in a million combinations. Breath of the Wild mm-hmm. has so much stuff in it that even if you can't do the hard tricks, there is a slightly easier trick with a different set of tools and slightly easier skip to pull off that'll only lose you a second. Right. Based mm-hmm. on if you knew how to do it the like the really hard way. This game is filled with that. If you want to be a, a top mm-hmm. runner in it, it is ridiculously difficult. Some of the skips and strats and things you have to do to save a handful of seconds or to <laughs> save a half a second here or there involves like doing frame perfect triple jumps. The 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 all the massive jumping you talked about earlier, that is mm-hmm. usually done with a triple jump. There's a way in which you can do something to where the game thinks at the top of your jump for one frame only that you you take damage you are standing on ground and the the importance of that for a game is the game games need to know when you're standing on ground because they give you different moves when you're standing on the ground different buttons Mm -hmm. mean different things so for one frame it thinks you're you haven't even jumped (laughs) and so you get a triple jump out of that it's just so crazy that someone figured that out yeah, but the damage the damage animation is different. There's one of them has like a it takes up different amount of frames. And so you have to constantly be paying attention to which damage animation you're getting to react to a frame perfect input. Wow. High barrier to entry, high payoff, but you don't necessarily have to do everything the most optimized difficult way. And so it leads to a speed run to where yeah, there's different ways to go about this. Uh, if you're not as good as the best people, you can still run this game fairly easily. I think that's what makes speedrunning really attractive to me, too. Like, watching it is when there isn't that, like, sure, there's a route, but there's not that extreme one way to get the best time. Mm-hmm. And because that was one thing I was I was watching a couple of different ones. And I did notice that there was evolving uh, in terms of over the years, how people have done it, uh, obviously slate modifications. And yeah, that makes it really attractive to watch because you're like, oh, this is this is interesting, especially when it's a game that I grew up with, like Battle for Bikini Bottom. Like you said to Neil, uh, like one of the reasons why these older games are the ones that get we see more most of the time because it's it's a lot of that nostalgia trip and the charm too mm-hmm. is bringing these these games that back that had this uh, interesting charm sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad like we talked about uh, <laughs> Shrek Extra Large that has a speedrunning community yeah. uh, which is uh, interesting <laughs> because it's a terrible game and even Sh- even Shrek Super Slam has a fighting game community too around it because yeah. they basically made it like a it's like a it's like they're talking about melee at times with yeah. like wave dashing and everything versions of that like it's just i love i love it when communities like this can latch onto a game and exploit its glitches and and break the game open in all honesty like you watch a a speed run of spongebob battle for bikini bottom and the game is not running the way it should by any stretch like they're glitching between save or between load screens and between cutscenes and to make the characters jump higher it's just a wacky way of watching someone play they don't know they don't look like they're having fun either while they're (laughs) playing they look like they're in almost like a jedi trance or something while they're doing this it's funny too because like when i was a kid like one of my things that i tried to do for games was i was i tried to break games all the time i tried to see like what i could do how far out of bounds i could go like a lot of times in Mm -hmm. different games i'd be able to uh, go into the polygon zone, as I call it, where just like the, the level has gone away and I can see it above me and I'm just kind of floating down 
into like these weird <laughs> polygons. I'm sure we've all experienced that in some form or another, but I, oh, I, yeah. I love trying to find that in games. And that's what I think I love about the speedrunning kind of community and speedrunning games like this one. We, we were playing, when we played Mega Man Legends on Chat of the Wild for the Zelda show, um, at one point I was lost in a labyrinth and then I remembered that I could look through the wall and see geometry around in the out of bounds. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm playing an old game. I used to do this all the time to like, I wonder what's out there. Will that give me a hint as to what I need to do? I love that. The, the, other, the other cool thing about this game is that when certain zones can be just done in backward entirely. So if you get to like the last part of an area, like is this island in the middle of nowhere. And if you can get to that first, everything's basically unlocked. It's just a straight line all the way back. You grab the spatula, you warp to where you got the quest or you hop in the box to where you got the quest. You don't have to pay for anything. And hey, right by where that quest starts is the last golden spatula from the last thing that you were told to do. And so you do it again. And uh, that, yeah. So it's this, I think a lot of what's optimizing this game is finding ways to give yourself more momentum so that you can double it when you do the bowling and then just a ton of routing. Wow. I love hearing about stuff like this. It's definitely something that Neil and I don't have it's that great. much experience with, but it's uh, I really appreciate you being voluntold to uh, to, to research uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom because obviously you have more experience in the speedrunning community than we do. I, I absolutely love this crap. Like uh, the, the thing that I love about speedrunning is is just I I find it fascinating how games can be used against themselves. Yeah. <laughs> And and whatever whatever form that takes, really. And did learning about the speedrunning community around Battle for Bikini Bottom sell you on the game? You said that you didn't play this game back in the day, right? Is this something that you might want to try and look look into at some point? I mean, you know, maybe I've got a ton of 3D platformers from that era that I need to to go back and check out. But this is, yeah, I would I would give this a run. I would especially because it's just full of those are the episodes I saw the most mm. of. Um, you know, it's like just like season one through three stuff. That's, yep. that's what we. That's so, that's what we're all about here. The golden era. So I think at this point, I had I had mostly abandoned Nickelodeon's ship for <laughs> Cartoon Network. Um, and, and I only came back for for Zim, and even then, that was hard mm. to find. You know, they rarely played Zim, so. <laughs> Yeah. At this point, Nick- I, I would see SpongeBob, but I didn't appreciate it till later, especially because I love Tom Kenny. So yeah. anything yeah. he's creatively involved in will end up being funny and, and weird and maybe pushing the envelope a little bit. For sure. We've talked about this a lot before, but Nickelodeon is definitely a shell of what it was in the 80s and 90s, and it's hard to watch it now. But there's some good stuff in the 2000s, too, that Mike and I both grew up with. So SpongeBob yeah. is definitely one of those franchises. And yeah. uh, so happy that he had a few good video games to talk about on this podcast, because it's been a long time coming. We're 105 episodes in, and we're finally talking about SpongeBob standalone games. Finally. Yeah. Uh, this this also is... Uh, for, for a little while, it was a GameCube game speedrun. But uh, they are now firmly on the Xbox, OG Xbox. Oh, interesting. I was going to ask, what, what what version is it that they're playing? I couldn't quite tell. So Xbox is the way to play it. Okay. Yes. Xbox mm. uh, doesn't compress the, the image files, and you can also load it, install it onto the hard drive of an OG oh. Xbox. So loading mm. is quicker, too. 
Don't play okay. it on PS2, even though that's the version everyone has. It's sold the most. Because yeah. as we all know, the PS2 loads for shit. Yeah. <laughs> mm. And had loading glitches, too. So uh, that would just destroy your save file. Mm. So that's also not great. Uh, play on the GameCube. Hooray. It's a great DVD player. <laughs> Agreed. Well, Neil, I think it's time to read the back of the case for this game. Maybe there'll be some speedrunning hints on it. Oh, I get to be here for this? I want to hear the jingle so bad. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, we don't play the jingle live, so that's yeah. in post, unfortunately. Maybe we'll send you the MP3 so you can play it. <laughs> you can listen to it while you're working out or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. The evil Plankton has set in motion his most diabolical plot ever. The fate of Bikini Bottom, and possibly mankind as we know it, has been put in the hands of three unsuspecting heroes. Join Spongebob and his friends in their fearless crusade to end Plankton's evil scheme. And then there's a giant Spongebob picture that says, He is our only hope. Help me, Spongebob, you're my only hope. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'd, put my, I'd put my life in the hands of Tom Kenny. I would. He seems like a good guy. Did he voice Cat Dog? Uh, he voiced Cat, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's not a joke. I think he voiced Cat in Cat yeah. Dog. No, oh, yeah, no, it's just was funny to think of. Like, it's just he, he is Cat and someone else is Dog. He also does the uh, Ice King in Adventure Time. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's everywhere. Oh, my God, yeah. He's like his voice Show, tons of stuff. Um, all over mm-hmm. Mr. Show. Like, one of the main, you know, skit cast members of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was, he's in a bunch of video games, too, but... Uh, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see Tom Kenny again, and hopefully we'll see Luigi again. Thank you very much, Luigi, for coming on today. Uh, it was a great time, and uh, uh, we'll give you this time now to plug whatever you're working on. Hey, uh, check out Chat of the Wild if you like Zelda games. Uh, we're getting close to being done with Okami, so check that out. We'll be starting Skyward so- Skyward Sword sometime soon, and maybe in between then also have a very special episode with some of some friends who like a friend who likes GameCube games. Um, Ooh. yeah so look for that and uh, need for speed running check that out we're on we're at NF speed running on Insta and Twitter and uh, doing cool episodes about speed runs we just wrapped up uh, summer games done quick and the latest episode that'll be up soon and also check out remember 64 at remember 64 show on all of the socials because David's better at this than I am and uh <laughs> Yeah, we we uh we got a Mission Impossible episode, and then we're also we also have a Turok episode up coming up soon. So, oh, sweet. stay tuned. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that N sixty four look back. Basically, what we do, but for the N sixty four, that's a really cool project. Hopefully, I get invited back on soon to talk about some sixty four games because I can't talk about them here because, of course, everybody knows Mike hates the N sixty four. I don't have three arms. <laughs> I hate the N sixty four too, but I love it. <laughs> it's a weird love hate relationship with that console, but that's that's all really good stuff. Love the speed running and N sixty four content, so keep it up and we hope to have you back on again real soon. Absolutely. Thanks guys. See you later. Take care. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Luigi, for coming on, talking about the speedrunning community and the speedrunning just technicalities of uh this game which I was really happy he was able to do. Yeah, I voluntold him, basically, but uh, I, kn- I knew he'd enjoyed looking it up and researching it. Uh, of course, he knew that this game uh, had the community, and, like, it's just 
really amazing to me that this game was basically saved from mediocre critics and brought to life as this, you know, remembered as a great game that it is. Uh, and obviously Heavy Iron Studios give me a lot of credit there too for creating these uh, this great game. And then the fact that we got a remake of it, whether you like it or not, we still got a remake of this licensed 2003 SpongeBob game. That's just insane mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah, licensed games are so rare when they come out. It's just such a nice treat. Like, we beg every day for a remake of uh, Nightfire. Like, we'd love a remake of Ultimate Spider-Man or any of those Spider-Man games would be great. But they are very rare. Like, we're starting to see it now with THQ remaking KO the Kangaroo and Destroy All Humans and uh, various other Tasmanian Tiger games coming out. So they are coming out, which is good to see. But the licensed ones are the weird ones where it's like, yeah, they do come out every now and then. But I don't know how they pick them. Uh, But it's, it's great to see nonetheless. Uh, A few things that I wanted to talk about Battle Mm -hmm. for Bikini Bottom before we move on to the next game on our list today, because we didn't get a ton of time to talk about the story and the gameplay of this game much with Luigi. One thing I love about this game, aside from the gameplay itself, the level design, the levels are huge and pretty well thought out, uh, is I love the references in this game. It makes a lot of references to movies, which is great, and of course, Spongebob cartoon episodes, but just a few here. Mm -hmm. You can find these in the game fairly easily. There's an Atari 2600 controller made out of sand on one of the beaches, which is really neat, really random too. Would have liked a GameCube controller in there, but it's fine. Uh, There's a Spongebob quote where he says, say hello to my bubble friend, which is a reference to Scarface. Uh, When realistic Fishhead interrupts the television in Shady Shoals, uh, he says that uh, they will go back to their regular show called Retirement Home Girls Gone Wild, (laughs) which is a reference to Girls Gone Wild, which is a a joke that like kids wouldn't get. But like teenagers, adults, uh, parents would definitely understand. There's also a reference. Uh, there's also references to Apocalypse Now, Silence of the Lambs, Fifty Cent, Terminator, and there's even a potential reference to a Mortal Kombat character, uh, which is really cool. And then, of course, the hundreds of SpongeBob epi- uh, references throughout the game. Oh, so many SpongeBob references! Like the smallest little ones, like Luigi said, all episode or seasons one to three, the Golden Era for sure. And that again, like I said, that really reminds me of Hit and Run. Like that was the same thing mm-hmm. for Hit and Run. But see. How I give even more praise to Battle for Bikini Bottom because Hit and Run had, um, or The Simpsons had twelve seasons before the hit, before Hit and Run came out. Uh, SpongeBob has like two and a half basically at this point. So yeah. like this is really really impressive to be able to put out such a quality game after so few um, uh, with so little content uh, in in comparison. And honestly, just like Battle for Bikini Bottom is a ten out of ten case study on how to take a franchise with a huge, rich history and, you know, you have everything at your disposal and make a very solid game with that as a base, with, with like, the franchise's references and everything as a base. Because you can't, like, just... You can't use fan service alone to make a great game, obviously. No. Uh, we've seen that happen before, and it doesn't really work. So the fact that it's able to pair with great gameplay, too, like, I... Oh man, I, can't, I I'm I'm so happy this game found a second life because of uh, speedrunning. Definitely. One thing, just comparing this game to Simpsons Hit and Run that I wish that they had done was instead of having like a hub world outside of SpongeBob's house uh, where you take a taxi to the different areas, I would have loved the ability to go there on my own, either by bike, because I guess SpongeBob can't drive, or maybe he goes like with Mrs. Puff in the side, in the uh, passenger side, because he's got his G1, I suppose. Uh, That would have been really cool to be able to explore the city a little bit more, to drive to Jellyfish Fields as opposed to just fast travel to them. It felt a little bit rushed or cheap bit more of like a traditional 3d platformer where you have a hub world uh it's fine if they wanted to do a hub world but maybe make it a little more exciting than just spongebob's front yard 
Um, I don't know what else they could have done, really, other than make it an open-world game, unfortunately. Funny story about this game, real quick, before we move on to our next game, is that I accidentally rented this game back in the 2000s. I believe it was when I was trying to rent the movie game because I wanted to play it again from Blockbuster. (laughs) And I guess that the the employee put the Battle for Bikini Bottom in the wrong stack of SpongeBob games, so it ended up in the movie pile. So I accidentally rented SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom on accident, uh... I took it home and didn't really know how to play it because I had never played before. I hadn't, again, I hadn't played like Sponge Super Mario 64 or anything. So I never played a 3D platformer that had a hub world. So I didn't know what to do. <laughs> True. Yeah. Like, you would have been really confused, especially thinking was, that it was the movie game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really like, this, this isn't the right game, guy. And like, we had to take, like, I eventually took it back and we were like, yeah, we, we didn't mean to rent this one. We wanted the movie game. And they swapped it and it was fine. But I was a dumb kid. Like, I didn't know. It was like, I, it's hard to it's hard to explain like playing a new genre of game for the first time to somebody these days where everything is so accessible. There's so many different genres of games. Like it's just easier to watch a let's play to figure out what to do. Yeah. But like there was just random things telling me, okay, I have to collect five golden spatulas. I need to have this many pairs of underwear. I need to have this sock. And it's like what? I don't know what to do. Like wh- where do I go? <laughs> what Who do, do I do? talk to? Like there's NPCs I never done. Like yeah. I have to go talk to Mr. Krabs and then I have to go talk to Plankton. And I was just really overwhelmed by it. It was kind of funny. Like I went back later and, and knew what I was doing, but really as funny. a first time, I was like, "This isn't the the movie game that I played a couple of months ago." So it was really confusing. But took it back, and then eventually, years later, picked this game up. Actually, when Mike and I were in New York back in 2016, this was a vacation. Oh, I didn't know you uh, bought this pickup. on that that trip. Yeah, I bought it from one of the the store that the really good one. The really yeah, good yeah, store. yeah, yeah. I know which yeah. one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I bought it from there. So uh, took that one home from New York and uh, played it that summer, and I I adore this game so. Really happy that we could finally talk about it, but we've already read the back of the case, so I think it's time, Mike, to move on to our next game, which is SpongeBob SquarePants The Movie, which was released on October 28th, 2004, almost a year after Battle for Bikini Bottom. It's developed, again, by Heavy Iron Studios, published by THQ. This game was on PS2, Xbox, Windows, Game Boy Advance, Mobile, and Mac OS X. Rates a 7 out of 10, priced today at around $35.00. This was the first ever Spongebob game I think I played, and I actually played it first on Game Boy Advance, so I'm pretty familiar with that version too, but I remember being absolutely thrilled to finally play this game uh, on GameCube, which I rented probably around Christmas of 2004, not long after it came out, and then I rented it again uh, for March break of 2005, to the point where this was eventually an Easter gift for me in, uh, in 2005, so that's the copy that I own today. Uh, and I absolutely adore this game. But Mike, what are your memories of SpongeBob, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie? Well, I was very similar in that sense too. I played this first on the Game Boy Advance, and mm-hmm. uh, this is where I kind of fell in love with it. I played it a ton on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, it, it was such a f- fun game for me because it was, I think, one of the first games that I had that wasn't like a Mario game or basically a SNES port. And so it was one of the first kind of like um, new games, I guess, because all these games obviously were were made like 10, 15 years ago at that point. So that was really, really cool to play it. And it it plays really well on on GBA. I didn't play it this week because I don't know where my Game Boy Advance is. Uh, But uh, I did play the GameCube version this week. You actually got me the copy of uh, the GameCube version for... I don't know, by my birthday or something, uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Now. I think I got it for you. Did I get you that in Resident Evil 4? I got it with you. I got it for you with something else. Yeah, it's a little bundle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 nice little GameCube pack in there. I like to make my own now. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people, most kids are buying that in RE4. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, I was awesome because I think, I, I couldn't remember if I had ever owned it or if I had rented it from somewhere 
But uh, either way, it was no longer in my possession. So I was really happy when you got that for me. And mm-hmm. playing it again, I don't know. This game I get the weirdest nostalgia trip with, uh, especially yep. when I collect the, the barbells. There's something oh, yeah. about it. Like, I can't even explain how my mind, like, processes that. I immediately just get, like, memories of playing this in the car and, like, memories of, like, me on road trips with my family. It's one of the weirdest, um, like, they should put this, like, for, for in, like, in therapy or something for, for people. Like, I don't know. It just, like, really calms me down almost. I was like, ooh, this is really nice uh, to play. It's very satisfying. It has the, the Zelda, it, like, the Zelda aspect of breaking open pots and yeah. collecting fruit piece. It's kind of the same idea. If, you, if listeners don't know what we're talking about, in the game, you, you bust open these plankton crates, wooden crates, with whatever attack you have, with whatever character you're playing as, and barbells come out of it, and they kind of all suck to you like they're all magnetically attracted to you kind of like in ratchet and clank with bolts that's probably a better analogy actually is the ratchet and clank bolts thing uh but it is very satisfying when you blow up a stack of crates and just you get a thousand dumbbells uh just attracted to you and you build up that hp meter or something i'm not even 100 percent sure why you're collecting the uh the dumbbells but it is satisfying to fill that meter up and and collect even though you don't really have to it's just fun to do for sure it is and this is one of the few movie tying games that i can say does a, uh, a really, really good job in terms of somewhat following the movie plot, but not mm-hmm. being overbearing of it. Right. Yeah, no, this game does definitely feel like the unofficial sequel to Battle for Bikini Bottom. Yes. Like, you play the two games side by side, and it feels like a Very sequel similar. to it. They, they've just used the the movie as the, the, I guess, the structure, the skeleton for this game, uh, which is great. It's not an original story, which is just fine, but all the character models look the same. The combat is all very similar, so I actually didn't play Battle for Bikini Bottom when I was a kid. I just played the SpongeBob movie, and I, I never went back to Battle for Bikini Bottom because I was like, well, I'm really happy with this game, and yeah. in some ways, like you said, this was like your first modern game. This was my first 3D platformer, I think, because I didn't play... Super Mario 64 until way later. I didn't play Super Mario Sunshine until a little bit later. So this was my first interaction with this type of a game, other than maybe something like a Banjo-Kazooie or a um, little bit of Donkey Kong 64. And in some ways, I honestly do kind of prefer playing the SpongeBob SquarePants movie (laughs) to some of those big-name 3D platforming games. Like, I think this game is sometimes more fun than Mario... Uh, Mario Sunshine, which I I know is super controversial to say, but it really is just a terrific game. That's probably some nostalgia there. It's not as polished as Mario Sunshine, but it's pretty darn fun, and the the characters are all really funny. All of the voice actors are finally here, yeah. including Mr. Krabs, which is nice. And yeah, it does follow the movie pretty closely, which I'm a huge fan of the SpongeBob movie. So happy to see that they uh, they were able to do to do that movie uh, justice, definitely. And that's the thing, like, it follows the movie closely for sure, which helps, especially as a kid. Like, that was one big thing when we started this podcast again uh, and we were going through all the different uh, movie tying games and how so, so few of them followed the movie at all, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) They were just using the movie title. And all I could think of was comparing it to this game where I was like, the biggest reason I played this game and bought it was because I loved the movie. Like mm-hmm. why like I I don't even understand like why wouldn't you you try harder to make sure that it is following the plot in some way it's like using the plot as a guideline like a lot of these games don't even use it as a guideline and that's one of the best parts about this game is the fact that you can feel that you're almost living through a uh, a really enjoyable time in your life almost like you know, uh, you had just watched a movie and now you can experience it again cuz also mm-hmm. you have to remember it's uh you watch the movie and then in theaters or whatever, and that's it. Like, you can't watch it again for probably, like, six months. Yeah, if you're we lucky couldn't torrent to... movies right away. Like, that wasn't the thing. Exactly. Back in the day. Maybe you could. We didn't know how to do it. <laughs> exactly. So that was a big thing to, like, keep the, the 
the the world alive, I guess, in your head, and definitely did for me. Like I play this constantly on both consoles, and just had a blast doing it. Even the the parts that wouldn't seem fun, like all the on rails parts, are not necessarily on rails, but like the tube slider parts, as I call them. I like those parts. They're great, exactly. And those yeah, are yeah. The, the parts that, in theory, shouldn't be fun, right? Because think mm. of all the other. Um, yeah. licensed games that we played where there are those those parts that come up you're like okay god let's just let's get through this and let's get to like the combat <laughs> and you want to try and collect everything too going yeah. down like they add that little extra part of the, the treasure the downhill yeah the treasure uh, the treasure bits or or the more of the uh, more of the dumbbells if that's what you want to yep. do and you know getting burgers for health and everything i do like those downhill parts the driving levels aren't really strong like driving the paddy wagon around isn't the best uh, it's a pretty small part of the movie, actually, which they did flesh it out really well. Mm-hmm. It works. It's fine. Uh, it, it's kind of fun in the GBA game, actually. It's kind of just like one of those car driving levels where you're just trying to avoid things on three. Basically, there's three lanes and you're trying to avoid stuff. I like the GBA game quite a bit. And I, I think that that's actually more fun to play, the driving levels in that game than Agreed, on GameCube. 100%. But, but the combat in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie game is so good. Like, I love playing as SpongeBob to do certain things, and then I love switching over to Patrick to be able to use his tongue as, like, a zip line yeah. or a, uh, like, a swing, uh, swing rope kind of thing. It's really fun. And the characters all interact. They all look so good on uh, in the environments. Like, they fleshed out every set from the movie. Because for the most part, you only ever see, like, one room of everything that you're ever yeah. in. Like, <laughs> like the... Um, the Goofy Goober Ice Cream Cafe, you only ever see the bar that they sit at and the, the stage, I guess, with the uh, the singing peanut. But they completely make it uh, – they make it a complete building with, uh, you know, a giant freezer and a chocolate river. They basically turn it into Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but it's the SpongeBob – it's the rep – it's the restaurant from the SpongeBob movie that you just watched, which you said, like, you know, you you, uh, you watch the movie in theaters, then you go home and play the game. But actually, if you wanted to, this game came out before the movie did. So oh. if you wanted to, you could have played the, the game and spoiled the movie for you. But I don't know how many people actually did that. Yeah, yeah that's that's a great point with the flushing out the settings and making them super three-dimensional. And yeah. my favorite uh, level, I'm not sure if we have the same favorite level, but mine for sure is David Hasselhoff's back. Okay, I was going to say, that was a weird part of the game for me, just because it wasn't, they didn't use David Hasselhoff's likeness. I guess they didn't have, I mean, they used his likeness, I suppose, but it's not, it doesn't look a thing like him. And actually, if you play the game on uh, GBA and PC, they completely shadow out his his character, so you can't, they even uh, blank out his name. I don't believe, do they ever say David Hasselhoff in the game? I don't think they do. Oh, I don't know. They, they call him a lifeguard, for sure. But it is a, it is a fun level. His hairy back, yeah. it's kind of gross, actually. It's, it's just so unique. Like, I remember yeah. uh, seeing that again this week playing it. I was like, what the hell? I, I completely forgot about this. And then remembered it, you know, as soon as I started playing again. Fighting Dennis, the, yeah. uh, the bounty hunter that Plankton hires to, to fight you. Oh man, the boss fights in this game are really good. I love fighting the giant, uh, the giant undersea fish with the ice cream on its nose, and the old lady is actually horrifying. Yes. Oh my uh, god. A pretty terrifying character. Like the tongue is an old lady, the head is an ice cream cone, and then it's just this giant uh, light bulb fish. Really well done, and the boss fight is really fun. The boss fights aren't super hard, but they're they're just enjoyable. Like it's just a really fun game, and you're not gonna beat your head. Oh, you're not gonna you know beat yourself over the head because you're you're dying over and over again it's not like dark souls or anything yeah huge kudos here to heavy iron studios for being able to make not one but two great licensed games and then one based off of a movie like that Mm -hmm. is really really impressive to do you know i I gotta give them all the praise in the world for this definitely one thing i think that they could have improved on the only real improvement in this game that i think was missing was that they added random pictures from the movie like they don't their cutscenes they do have yeah. the, 
CG animated cutscenes, which are good. They're fine, but then they also have random uh, stills from the film, and uh, I think they have some VO for that as well, and some text as well. It, it was kind of, it felt a little bit cheap. I kind of wish that they either added full parts from the movie, which they couldn't have done, I suppose, but uh, either do that or don't do anything at all. Like, just keep it as the CG cutscenes. Would have been fine. Not a huge uh, con, it's just the cutscenes after all. Well, it's weird um, because sometimes yeah. they do actually have the full cutscenes, not CG, but like the, the cutscenes from the movie. Uh, but mm. most of the yeah you're right most of the time it is just stills because the yeah. uh, they do have a scene where it's uh, like Patrick and uh, I guess actually you know what maybe it's not a full cutscene maybe it is just a still and just in my mind yeah. it was a um, a cutscene but you're right it is a still just looking back on it right now uh, they just kind of do it as like kind of quick still animation uh, mm -hmm. of photos but yeah it, it's weird that they didn't just. Uh, make uh, or just put in the the movie cutscenes, but I know sometimes there's licensing stuff with it and everything. Yeah, and music too. Yes. Like I just want to say, like a shout out to the the movie, which is a really good movie. I own it on PSP UMD. Yes, the best way to watch the SpongeBob movie. <laughs> um, but I, I just love the scene. It's not in the game, but I love the scene where SpongeBob transitions into the I'm a Goofy Goober Rock by Twisted Sister. That that moment gives me chills to this day. Like when he's about to be Same. attacked by all the robots and he just goes into the song. I don't know why it's such a cool moment, but uh, I love that song. I love that moment in the movie and uh, super iconic. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just I guess one more thing here. I really wish that they added uh multiplayer again like it would have been cool to have had like some driving levels together or some combat levels together it just feels like now you know we're getting into years three and four of spongebob games coming out we still don't have a multiplayer game yet we will talk about that in just a few moments but it would have been neat to have had the spongebob movie game to play with a friend i remember my sister and i passing the controller back and forth with this game a lot especially with the downhill levels where you're uh you're riding the um you're in a clam you're in a clam right yeah or a bathtub i can't remember uh oh yeah like you're in the aren't you in the crown or whatever is it the crown i thought it was a clam see i'm drawing a blank now i'm pretty sure it was a, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was a clam like the downhill clam uh, basically. oh those ones yeah yeah, yeah 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 you're right it is a clam yeah we used to pass the controller back and forth to see who could go farther or who could get to the next checkpoint which we weren't super good at games at this point we were only 10 or 11 but i just have very fond memories of playing that march break this game for hours acting like i'm in the bikini bottom but playing as spongebob and patrick it's it, it is such a fun time and it still holds up really well today so yeah just uh again thanks heavy iron studios for making uh great games uh or two great games on the gamecube for spongebob mm -hmm. and let's move on to another great game of the day mike but before we do we'll hit the back of the case for the spongebob squarepants movie bigger better more absorbent join spongebob and patrick on their most perilous journey ever to a mysterious place no sea creature has ever returned from only you can help them save mr krabs and all of bikini bottom from plankton's dreaded plan z Ooh, and neil i would like to do something that we've never done on this show before okay what is it i'd like to read the back of the case of the game boy advance copy oh of uh the, the spongebob squarepants movie okay please do it's not a big box so there can't be that much Bigger, better, more absorbent. Uh, join SpongeBob and Patrick on their most perilous journey ever to uh, a mysterious place. No sea tree. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and it says prepare for super speed, confront powerful bosses. Patrick saves the day. And it is only for the Game Boy Advance. Only for the Game Boy Advance. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to counter <laughs> counter that with another point. It's also on GameCube, PS2, Windows, Mac OS. Anyway. It's only for <laughs> that's that's actually interesting. That it says only for well, that like, version is only it. it was being made by a different developer. So that version of the game is only playable on Game Boy Advance. I think my parents bought me the Game Boy Advance version at first because I had the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance player, and the Game Boy Advance version must have been cheaper. So they they probably assumed that it was the exact same game, just 
cheaper, uh, even though it's not completely different. But I beat both games, so it's fine. Got a lot of enjoyment out of them, and I'm glad I own both. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the next game of the day, which is SpongeBob SquarePants Lights, Camera, Pants. was released on October 21st, 2005, developed by THQ Studios Australia. Good day, mate. Published by THQ. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Windows, and Game Boy Advance. This game rates a 6 out of 10. That is just objectively incorrect. Priced today at around $20. This is a party game with a plot, and it's a really good party game at that. This is basically the Mario Party game for Mike and I. We have really good memories of playing this as kids. It is easily the best party game on the GameCube that is not a Mario Party game. Oh, without a doubt. There's not even a, a competition there. We used to play this game. I have really good memories of us playing hockey together. Uh, we, we would play on the same team. We'd go to one of each other's houses for pizza or whatever. We would watch Hockey Night in Canada, the Leafs player, whoever it was. And then in between periods and after the game, this is the game that we would play because every mini game is cut into nice bite-sized four-minute pieces. So we could play a mini game or two or four, dive back into the hockey game. Do you remember doing that? I do remember doing that. I mean, I like had vague memories, but now they're stronger now that you brought it up. Flooding back, no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's such a fun experience, such a fun game. Even to this day, I have so much fun uh, to still playing it. And I want to bring on a guest today who also enjoys uh, playing this with us, Neil. And that is friend of the show, Annika, who was last on for the Sims episode, where we talked about all the Sims games on the GameCube. And today we're, of course, going to talk about Lights, Camera, Pants, uh, a game that she definitely loves uh, to play to this day. But our first question to you, Annika, is who is your favorite SpongeBob character of all time? Ooh, that's a tough one because I think it's evolved over the ages as I have aged. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure growing up, I like I want to say growing up, um, Obviously, I loved Spongebob, but being a woman, I, I did very much like Sandy. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what? I really enjoy Squidward because I just really relate to him more. I feel like Squidward, Squidward is the correct yep. answer. <laughs> yeah, anyone over like 25, Squidward is 100% the right answer. Uh, he is just embodies everything about work life, uh, especially for like millennials, just, uh, and, you know, kind of tr- getting treated badly by his boss, uh, not having uh, any of his dreams met. His ambition is now shattered. It's, you know, it's a, it's a good example of what we have to go through. He made a tombstone for his hopes and dreams. I, I, I relate to that. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah, Annika does as well. One, one day I, I'm kind of surprised I haven't already made one. <laughs> we should all, we should all make one. Let's take up a few plots of a uh, graveyard in Toronto here and just says our hopes and dreams. We'll just take over an entire acre of land. <laughs> I would love that. That's a good use for it. No, That's no more great. condos. Just give me my hopes and dreams dashed away in gravestone form. Need a place to bury them, please. Yeah. Uh, but then our next question then would be, uh, what are your first memories of just SpongeBob in general? I don't re- I don't know what my like very first memories are, but I remember just watching it all the time on YTV. Is that what it was on? Yeah, sounds right. Sounds That's right. where it was. Yeah, where, where yeah we watched I, it. I remember yeah. we watched YTV all the time, um, and especially when SpongeBob was on, it was just like constantly on, and we'd be watching it. Yeah, Nickelodeon and YTV gave us pretty much no choice, but they they did put it on like a great after school 
uh, slot with we had Pokemon, SpongeBob, Fairly Odd Parents. Eventually, Yu-Gi-Oh was thrown in there too, and then just SpongeBob after SpongeBob. Like I think yeah. they threw SpongeBob in maybe two or three slots at least a night. So you would have no choice but to watch basically six episodes of the show every day from 1999 to 2005. So yeah, we it's kind of weird. Like I, I'm the same way where it's like I kind of remember watching an episode, the first episode, maybe it was like jellyfishing or something, but all of a sudden it's just yeah. there. Like it was just everywhere, just all consuming in every everything. I yeah, did. and I like I don't remember how how we started watching it or anything like that. It was just at one moment it appeared in my life and it stayed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's like the ultimate like thing that a cartoon can do is just show up on a network and you not question it. It's just a part of your rotation and then you're going to like it. And we did. Yeah. That is what happened with SpongeBob for sure. And then now the SpongeBob uh, game that of course we have played before uh, lights came her pants, just such an amazing party game. And what are your first memories of this game? So, my brother and I, we would go to EB Games and, like, check out whatever games were on sale. They always had these deals that were, like, buy three games for, I don't know how much money back then. I want to say, like, three games for $20, and my mom would be be like, yeah, choose three games that you guys agree on, um, and we can buy them. And I remember Lights, Camera, Pants being one of the first ones that we actually bought i could be wrong but that's that's what i remember because we had a whole bunch of these weird games from that were given to us i had a playstation 2 and we were kind of behind the times because we were given a playstation like long after it had come out um so we 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 were lucky in the fact that games were cheap when we were buying them (laughs) but we obviously loved the show and we saw this one and we're like, yeah, let's buy it. And especially because it was, I think it said like one to four players or whatever on it. Or like, perfect. Both of us can play it together. Because um, it was always a pain if it was just a one person game. I remember it being interesting because it was, a lot of it is a co-op game. Which is very different than most games. Um, my brother and I loved playing like the NHL games, which obviously it was one versus the other and often it would end with Mm -hmm. one of us being sad because we lost usually me so this was actually a game (laughs) where we could work together to accomplish things that's actually a really good point even comparing it to mario party in a sense right because mario party you're always obviously against each other it's a board game uh, as as we talked about at the beginning of the episode neil uh Mm -hmm. it is a board game that is just put on screen and so you're not teaming up it's always just even if even in the 2v2 mini games you're still against each other in some way but yeah in in lights camera pants there is a lot of there is the of course end objective here because there's a story in this game the end of objective is to become the uh casted as a supervillain in the new mermaid man and barnacle boy movie uh that is uh being casted by gil hammerstein the uh, uh <laughs> the great uh, uh great casting mm-hmm. agent there who's actually voiced by nolan north neil did really? you know that i didn't know that was him are you serious yeah what a what a casting there wow oh my god so that, that's amazing yeah i love the story in this game it's such a clever way of adding a plot to a party game which we hadn't seen in mario party it was all just all just board games and this one it's so great there's this director he's in bikini bottom he's trying to cast a movie and each section is like an audition so you audition at the crab the crusty crab at the beach at jellyfish fields at you know the, the chum bucket and everything and and every every kind of location has a host and let, lets the lets the director mr hammerstein know like who the best uh the best performance was and then you get to watch a cutscene 
based on who won the majority of those minigames. And it's actually pretty incredible because if you tie all the cutscenes together, it's over an hour and a half long. So wow. you could play this game over and over and over again and see all the different uh, scenes depending on who wins each uh, each minigame collection. Like you're going to see one scene with Patrick as the lead and then another scene with maybe SpongeBob and Sandy. But they had to make every single character. And there are six characters in the game. You can play as SpongeBob, Patrick, Sandy, Mr. Krabs, Plankton, and Squidward. So they had to make every single scene with each individual character. And there is there is a YouTube video with all of the scenes strung together. <laughs> if you want to watch it, it's about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes long. So this definitely has some of the most cutscenes of any Nickelodeon cartoon tie-in game that I think we've seen up until this point. Now, a lot of them are pretty repetitive because they just switch yeah. out the characters doing lines that are pretty similar but more in character with whichever character won. But still, like it's it's yeah, a part a of the game. Of work. They made a lot of extra work for themselves based yeah. on that story. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the first things I thought of too when we were playing this game again uh, and just seeing all the different cutscenes. And the cutscenes aren't great, to be fair. They're very They're bad. They're not bad. But I just, um, I remember skipping yeah. them as a kid, too, because I was Me like, too. okay, they, they go on for a little too long most of the time, but uh, they are still cool that they did this. You know, this would have been really cool for 2004. And it's so nice to see a game where it's not just, here are your main characters, and that's it. They actually use, like, every character from the show, even these, like, random side characters. Uh, and it was it was also, I thought about the other day, that most SpongeBob things... Because a, a big, like, plot point of Spongebob in the TV shows is Plankton trying to steal the Krabby Patty formula. And for some reason in this game, they, like, don't even really touch on it. Which I feel like is very yeah. different than a lot of lot of anything else. They usually take, they're like, oh, this is the main plot point of the TV show, let's put it into the game. And this, they just went in a totally different direction. It's the Majora's Mask of the uh, uh, of the SpongeBob world, Neil. Yeah, they all put aside their differences. It's like the Mario Kart, actually. They all put aside their differences yeah. for a day to audition for a movie. It's yeah, but I think that they could have made the cutscenes a little better because, like Mike said, he he skipped them as a kid. I did too. I watched I, them for I the did first as well. time. Yeah, like because it's like they are long. Like you just want to get to the mini games. It would have been cooler maybe if at the end of all everything, then you watch the movie based on who won each each mini game because after. You play three or four in a row. That's about 15, 20 minutes have gone by. You kind of forget what happened in the last cutscene, but it is a continuation. Mm -hmm. Like if you string it all together, it makes sense. But if you're breaking it up with 20 minute mini games, which really have nothing to do with the movie, it's really easy to forget where you were in the movie and what character was doing what. So it's it's better if you just tie it all together at the end and make like maybe a, a 20 minute cutscene while the credits are rolling or something. I think that yeah. might have made the production of that a little better and we would have watched it because it would have been like, all right, the mini games are over. Let's see the movie now. Like it would have been way cooler doing that. Yeah, exactly. And because as, as a kid, I remember playing this game for like so long. My brother and I would, would play it and it felt like it took us so long to get through the whole game, even though like Mike and I got through the entire game in like two hours yeah. the other night. Um, and after we did that, I was like, oh my God, as a kid, it felt like this took forever just to get through like the bronze uh, version of it, even though <laughs> I guess it didn't actually take that long. Um, but I think, I think it's also the fact that this... This was, like, my brother and I, we didn't grow up playing Nintendo games, so this was basically our Mario Party. So whenever people would come over, we loved this game so much that we would get so excited to show it to people. We'd be like, <laughs> you have to play this game. And the fact that you could have up to four people playing it was great, especially for, like, a PS2 game, I think. Mm -hmm. There weren't a lot of those. Um, True. 
So yeah, I like when I think of this game, I just think of the first, the very first three mini games, and I forget all of the other ones because I've played those ones so many times. <laughs> the first three mini games, they take place in the Krusty Krab. Yeah. And a few of them are actually a lot like uh, overcooked. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man, we're just making burgers and we're serving it up to customers. You have to remember an order. Uh, it is a lot. Like I remember the first time playing Overcooked back in two thousand and. 15 2016 and just thinking like this is basically the first two levels of <laughs> lights camera pants and it's awesome but honestly <laughs> you guys got a chance to play through the game uh, just the other day do you are there any mini games that stand out to you as like a favorite other than the first couple on in the in the crusty crab so there's uh, i mean there's a lot of great games there's one that uh stood out to me when we were playing not as like a great game uh but it was mm. the seahorse polo that we yes. we didn't get enough points, so we tied the first time round. So we had to go back and replay it. And we're like, okay, we have to beat the computers, and mm-hmm. we figured out basically like a cheat that as long as you're off to the side and kick it, you'll score. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah. the game ended. It was like fourteen to two or something. It was so stupid <laughs> because they would just like take the ball, I would tackle them, move to the side, and then score. <laughs> and I definitely never figured that out as a kid, but playing no. it as it now, it's like oh. I can just beat the game right here, right now. I will say that is like a bit of a con for me is the early mini games are much stronger than the later mm-hmm. mini games. Yeah. Uh, like obviously the Krusty Krab ones are gold. Cool. They're so well done. Uh, the Jellyfish field Fields ones are okay. Um, the ones where you're with Larry and the weights, like that's just a straight, of a, a straight out of a Mario Party mini game. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the ones where you're on the little unicycles shooting each other. And there's the big bumpers in the middle. That's a really fun one, too. I always love that one. Uh, and, of course... That yeah. felt like a Mario Party game to me, too, though. Yeah, oh, all, very much all so. of the Mrs. Puff's boating school ones are yeah. great because it's yeah. like your classic racing games. Yeah, there's the one where you kind of have all the jumps yeah. uh, you, with your with your bikes, yeah. little extreme sports uh, thrown in there for the time, which is mm-hmm. nice to see. But, yeah, those ones are the early ones, and they're all very fun. I don't think there's any misses. Even the Squillium ones are fun, like the um, the rhythm-based uh, ones. Dude, the Squillium bundle is my favorite one in the whole game. They're all really good. I they know that are. Like, yeah. it's tough with timing, and like if you're if you're, there's any lag in your TV or you're using a wave word, I guess it doesn't work super well. But for me, the band mini game is my favorite one. Yes. Where it because it's the best to have four friends or three friends together and play. Because one person is on drums, one person's on guitar, on the uh, the clarinet, and I think Sandy's playing a guitar as well. Bass, but, bass, bass. Yeah. Oh, she's on bass, right? Thank you. Uh, but when you're all playing together and like you're 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 doing a drum solo and you're doing a guitar solo, it's so satisfying. It's basically like really simply simplified, dumbed down Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. But the Squillium games are all so good. You've got that one, then you've got a dance one, like a square dancing one, and you've got a drum one, which is kind of weird. But the music based levels are all really fun. They are, and they could have been really bad. Like, oh, which yeah. is, like that was uh, kind of a big risk because at the time, they didn't really have the rhythm games perfected yet for these consoles. Guitar Hero had just come out, so uh, Harmonix was really one of the first people to kind of figure it out. And a lot of games like Mario Party had rhythm games, but they were really bad, like the mic ones, for example, right? So they, they didn't perfect it, where uh, the Squillium part is arguably better than the Mario Party rhythm games. Yeah, absolutely. And the music is better, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is great, honestly. The music in this whole uh, whole game is great, uh, and it really, like, takes you in. It's It, again, could have easily been just a throwaway SpongeBob party game, but they did a great job in really immersing you in it. Yeah. And actually having some hard games. They're not just these kind of bullshit easy mini games. There's actually ones that even playing it as an adult, you're like, oh, oh, I have to try at this. Some of them do have some challenge to them, definitely. 
Uh, I agree with Mike that like some of them are pretty forgettable. Like for me, I don't remember or I didn't remember any of the Jellyfish Fields one ones. They're all pretty throwaway, honestly. The earlier ones are really strong. I had a tough time though. Like if you play this game alone, uh, it's not quite as much fun yeah. because the AI in this game is super frustrating. <laughs> if you have a partner, like it's like, you know, you want them to do something and they don't do it, especially like Mike mentioned, the weights one where you're trying to collect the same color uh. weights. Like you know you have to get two greens and they grab a red one. It's like, okay. But why though? <laughs> Literally, we were we were playing it the other night, and as soon as it got to the wait one, I was like, "Oh my god, this is the worst one to play with a computer because you have yep. to like wait until they grab a color, and they're still stupid about it." And yeah, as we were going through, because I remember playing it by myself when I was a kid at times, I'm just like, some of them were impossible to do because the computers were mm-hmm. so stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the only thing that makes it unplayable for me. Like, there are a few mini games that are forgettable, but they're they can be unplayable if you're partnered with a non-playable yeah. character, and it's like they just they don't know which end is up. So yeah, I'll be like, "Come on, Squidward, what are you doing?" <laughs> I I do like Squidward in this game though because he kind of trash talks the other teams or or your own team if you don't do well. He's he's definitely the standout character in the show and in this game too. Yeah, yeah, they they do have repetitive dialogue, but I actually really like the dialogue. Uh, from all different one, all different characters because it uh, it is all a little bit different for each one and it's definitely based on their personality and of course the voice acting is here and that's what really makes it shine the fact that you actually got all the voice actors to do all these little lines mm-hmm. yeah that's nice that they brought back everybody Mr. Krabs there thank God but uh, yeah SpongeBob Patrick Sandy Plankton they they all need to be there to make the game feel uh to feel like a, a classic SpongeBob game one thing I didn't understand about the game maybe you guys can explain it is that after a mini game you get your points like you know you get your little graph shows up that's pretty obvious because you win the points throughout the game but then they have popularity points too not quite sure how that's scored but like you always kind of feel like okay why is this person so much better than me in popularity points why am I lower and also like it doesn't really matter in the end because it's whoever wins the most points in the mini game itself it's kind of weird that they didn't just combine those two things together in one graph you see like the one graph you're like woo I won and then you see another graph and it's like yay somebody else won for some reason I don't know just would have been cleaner if they made it one uh one winner for every game yeah I also never really understood that and I just went with it I was like cool I, I for some reason yeah I always paid attention more to the popularity points because I think it was the second screen um okay. and I mean obviously a lot of them you can max them out I think the max per game is like is 5, it th- is it 5000 yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah you're right I I don't know why they did that I think it's just based on not screwing up is kind of yeah. what I gathered. Like the less, like if you don't, you know, if you push the wrong button in one of the music games, you lose popularity points and that's how it was scored. But still, I think that that could have just been figured out in the, the first graph again, but it doesn't really, it's not a huge problem. It's just one part of the uh, post game part that I just spammed a through so I could get back to the next <laughs> mini game. Yep. Yeah. It just, it just didn't really make like the scoring system didn't really make sense uh, for that because it didn't give you the proper incentive, I think. Like, and also one of the worst parts too is that if you do well on all the, the games and if you're playing with someone else, most of the time and on bronze, most of the time you will win and you will get 5,000 points uh, for each one, which is the max. Then you end up tying each other and you have to go through this arduous <laughs> rock, paper, scissors uh, uh, challenge the skill uh, the skill of rock paper scissors yeah and, <laughs> and it's like the worst way to like decide the winner and it's they try and make it like a rock paper scissors game they dress it up and everything but it's just rock paper scissors and it's like it feels very cheap in that sense mm-hmm. it's like well, yeah. well I, why couldn't there be a like a, a racing game or something or even like 
the um, make a, a different version of the the when you're going over the jumps and doing tricks like that would be cool too like something with a little more skill yeah. than just rock paper scissors or even yeah. if they just somehow made like took one of the mini games and made it a two person um, something like that like the goo brawl thing where you're on the platform like yeah. just the first person yeah. knocked off the platform loses like yeah. uh, something like that exactly I am I do have the manual here in front of me just because I want to get the answer of this popularity points so basically what happens is if nobody has enough popularity points at the end of all three auditions or mini games you have to play them all again oh I know so yeah. that, that's how that's how it works but still it's something that doesn't need to be there like you have three winners just decide a role based on that um, that's where that came from yeah, I, I hated because I had to do that a lot as a kid. I yeah. have to go back and play some of the mini games over. Ugh. But it's weird because it doesn't really tell you like which one to play. It, it, it that whole part is weird. Like the scoring part and everything was a little strange. The gameplay is solid. It's like one of the best gameplays of any licensed game on the GameCube. But yeah, when it came to scoring and figuring out who was winning, because there's there shouldn't be ties at all. Honestly, like if you won yeah. the mini games. Like if uh, then that's you, you win. Like you, <laughs> pretty cut and dry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I don't know. But um, anyways, uh, Annika, is there anything else you'd like to say about SpongeBob lights camera pants before Neil hits the back of the case? The the one thing that I did enjoy was uh, right at the beginning when you choose like your AI players and you choose their mode. Is I did enjoy the fact that instead of putting like easy, normal, and hard, they put silly normal and hard because i was like this actually accurately describes it for once (laughs) yeah it's a good point it's true yeah because they are just silly when they're on easy like they just don't do anything (laughs) properly they pick up blue weights when you need red you know uh even if they're medium or uh they they pick up uh the wrong weights so (laughs) yeah it didn't really make a huge difference there the ai still stumbles a little bit but nonetheless like mike said it is a solid game and honestly like whenever i see on our GameCube Facebook page, like we were a part of the Enthusiast page on Facebook. And anytime anybody says like, oh, I just bought a GameCube for my kid. What games do you guys recommend? And everybody recommends, we talk about this all the time, the Mario Parties, the Marios, the Zeldas, whatever. I always recommend this game because it's so much fun. It's cheap too. Like it's only 20 bucks. Uh, it's it's not hours of entertainment. Like when you play it as an adult, like it's two hours if you want to play it and be done with it. But when we were kids, like Annika said, we played this game for hours. Yeah. Just going back and replaying the mini games. You can also take collections of mini games. We didn't even talk about this, but you can pick your own, like your favorite five mini games and play them back to back. So you don't always have to play the game linearly. You can just go and cherry pick the ones that you want to play. Like if you don't want to do that one mission from the uh, jellyfish fields, you don't have to do that again. If you love that level from the chum bucket, you can play that one twice if you want to. Like it's such a cool way to do it. You can't do that. You can do it now in Mario Party, but I don't remember being able to do that in many Mario Party games anyway. Yeah, I didn't even know you could do that. And I said to Mike the other night that as a kid, I never even, I don't remember ever going into seeing like all of the bonus other stuff because I just loved playing the actual game itself and most other games I love going into the bonus section to see what other things there are in this game I literally never did as a kid yeah, there's a lot. And you can play the game pretty well single player. Like if you don't want to go through the story, you can unlock all the mini, game, mini games by just playing through them all one by one. Mm-hmm. So there are different ways to uh, to complete the game and play through it. But yeah, highly recommend this game for anybody who just picked up a GameCube looking for some cheap games. Maybe you have some kids. Try and find Lights, Camera, Pants. It's pretty easy to find. Or you can go in the cheat code section and unlock mm-hmm. everything, which is what I did last <laughs> night. And uh, I uh, unlocked all the artwork, which is actually it's really, really cool. cool. Nice. Did, yeah. they have, did they have any of the comic books from uh, uh, Stefan Hillenberg's early comics, or is it like concept no, art be, for the show? No, that, that would be really cool. No, it's not even concept art. It's like old school kind of 40s, 50s posters. 
oh. and like done in different ways yeah. for movies, kind of. Oh. Um, and it's really cool. And we'll be posting that to our Instagram for sure because that's something I really want to hi- highlight. Uh, it's nice. such a cool bunch of these posters that that we were looking at. I was like, wow, this looks like. The-. And a lot of time was, and a lot of time and effort was put into these posters to make them look really good. Yeah, like Sweet. I, I, I want that. some of them for my wall. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> they look really they're cool. Sick. Yeah. Sweet. Well, with that, I think it's time that we hit the back of the case for SpongeBob SquarePants lights, camera, pants, and move on to our last game of the day. What do you guys think? Sounds good. All right. When a special episode of The New Adventures of Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy is being filmed in Bikini Bottom, it's up to SpongeBob and his friends to compete for the lead role, grab your friends, and battle your way through 30 levels of mayhem. I'm glad that they're upfront with how many mini games are in it, because that's really what I care about when I'm buying a party game, is how many mini games am I getting out of this game? Mm, 100%. And 30, that's crazy. It actually feels like a lot less, but I guess 30 does check out. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. Thirty is about right. So about a buck fifty per mini game, and this is also a really good game. If like Mike and I talked about at the beginning of the episode, if you're a fan of the Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy episodes, this is a good one because the cutscenes, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy, are pretty good. And Tim Conway is actually in it. I was really surprised uh, that he is he is still voicing Barnacle Boy in uh, mm-hmm. in the game. They don't get Ernest Borgnine; it's someone else. You can oh, tell. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, I thought it sounded pretty good. It sounded pretty good, but like as some other cutscenes were worse. Like the, mm. there were times I had to like really think about it. So they, they did a good enough job for sure. It wasn't like it wasn't like uh, Mr. Krabs in um, Battle for the Bikini Bottom, but no, still. nothing will be that bad. <laughs> Anyways, thank you very much, Annika, for coming on today and talking about lights, camera, pants. Just a, a great little hidden gem on the GameCube, uh, and we look forward to having you back real soon. Thanks for having me, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, Annika. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Annika, for coming on today, talking about your memories of SpongeBob and Lights, Camera, Pants. Again, just a great hidden gem. And Squilliam's in it, Neil. Squilliam is in it. He has his own level. He has his own rehearsals, or not rehearsals, but I guess they're uh, auditions. He's really good, too. I love his unibrow. I wonder if anybody. I wonder if anybody's done like a really good Squilliam cosplay. <laughs> I would love to see William <laughs> Gosfly. Just a great character, yeah. Like Annika said, it's such a it's such a great game, even for all these other consoles, because it's a great two player game that a lot of these uh, like PlayStation didn't really have. Uh, Nintendo's always known as the multiplayer console, mm-hmm. so it's uh, uh, great to see that this was on other things. Of course, the right way to play it is on the GameCube. Oh, for sure, definitely the best way to play. It's already got the four player multiplayer built in there. You've probably got four GameCube controllers lying around. So, really glad that we could have somebody come on who has such fond memories as we do, because this to me is like up there with the Nightfires that you and I talk about, like of the games that we bonded over yeah. as kids. I could talk about this game just as much as Nightfire, but unfortunately, we do have a bit of a time crunch today, so we do need to move on to the last game of the day, Mike. What do you? Think. Oh, there's no time crunch when it comes to SpongeBob Neil, but yes, let's uh, let's finish it off. We will be back to talk about SpongeBob again in the future in some way. Do not oh, worry yeah. at all. But let's move on to the last game of the day here, which is SpongeBob SquarePants Creature from the Krusty Krab. Was released on October 16th, 2006. I like how all the games were uh, in October, except for that first one. Kind of weird. Developed by Blitz Games, who also made Defender and every Nick or cartoon tie-in game you can pretty much think of. Published by THQ, also on PS2, Windows, Game Boy Advance, DS, and Wii. Rates a 7.5 out of 10. Priced today at around $30. Mike, I don't know if you've played this game before. I own it. It is incredibly weird. 
This is the only SpongeBob game today that I had never played before this episode. Oh, okay, very good. Yeah, I picked this one up from ANC Games here in Toronto a while ago, just out of on a whim, thinking like, okay, I like all the other SpongeBob games that I played up until this point. I don't own this one. It was twenty bucks, so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. It's also in really good condition, and it's it's like a weird crossover of like a SpongeBob game, but also Twisted Metal mixed with like Cell Damage, that weird cell shaded game that we played yeah. back in the day. It's basically like a dream sequence where uh, every you jump into other people's dreams, kind of like what we talked about with um, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh, exactly. And everyone's got like a different kind of world that they're living in, which makes it really neat. But the first one I want to talk about is SpongeBob's world. And you end up in this kind of cell shaded uh, nightmarish uh, Mad Max world, basically, where you're racing these <laughs> these cars, but the characters themselves are all super weird. Like, they're cel-shaded, they're aggressive, they're angry, they're really freaky. The animation is not great, which makes them even more off-putting, but have you seen gameplay of this? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I did my research before this show, and yeah, it was... I had to kind of, like, watch it a couple times to figure out, like, what was going on. It, yeah, it does seem like a fever dream within these dreams. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, like the SpongeBob level is like ripping friends or something. And yeah. the racing is actually pretty good. I know I mentioned in the, um, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, the racing or the driving isn't the best in Lights, Camera, Pants. The racing levels, again, they're pretty chibi because it's a mini part. It's a mini game game. Uh, but with this one, the racing is actually pretty good. I, I like the opening levels. And that's kind of like the tutorial stages are SpongeBob doing mild platforming it's not nearly as interesting as battle for bikini bottom or the movie but it is crossed with these racing levels which is which is actually kind of fun that's that's the thing about this game though i really don't know what's going on in terms of a plot yeah it is yeah there, I, I don't know if there is any plot for sure and yeah. uh i like presentation wise it is pretty good it is now a different studio we got blitz games like you said doing this and it's um it's clearly just taking the nick games that are coming out at this point and kind of reusing that engine uh, i definitely got vibes of of like the nicktoons sure uh games that that were out at this time it basically looks very very similar in, in that sense so kind of sad that we lost the heavy iron studios look of things yeah because they just almost perfected it in, in my view mm-hmm. and spongebob looks good uh and so do other characters but it's not as um i don't know it's it's not as charming do you know what i mean yeah it's starting to lose that spongebob appeal or that i guess Jumping the shark, really. This is when Stephen yeah. Hillenburg had backed out. Now we're looking at 2006. They were doing their own seasons now, their own movies, their own games, too. Uh, it was that era of SpongeBob where you and I had started to back out, definitely. I, I didn't play this game as a kid, unfortunately, but I'm kind of depressed. or not, not depressed. I'm kind of sad that I didn't play it back in the day, though, because I was playing this the other night, and it, it's really fun. Like, it's not, it doesn't have the same feel as, like, this is a lost SpongeBob episode, per se, but it's still a very well-put-together game. Like, the platforming is solid, the, uh, the level design is good, uh, the camera is fine. Like, that's the thing about all these games that we've talked about, is that the camera is pretty good or great in some of them. This one, it's still the same. The, the quality is there. You've got different playable characters, which most of the other mm-hmm. SpongeBob games have. You can play as SpongeBob, Plankton, and Patrick, who's also known as Starfish Man. Uh, I think he's got the most interesting levels, for sure, because you get to go into this classic cartoon comic book style where he's a superhero and it's got that kind of old superman style of art style that we haven't really seen much except for maybe in ultimate spider-man yeah that was one of the really cool things with patrick i think they like tried to give him more of a personality and everything in this game and uh created that alter ego for him it almost reminded me of um 
that PK game oh, for yeah. Donald Duck. Out uh, of the that shadows. We talked about, yeah. yeah, that we talked about for the Disney games. It was very similar to that in that sense, where mm-hmm. uh, which is honestly, this is probably what Disney should have done. Is instead of <laughs> because if you made like a Star Starfish Man game mm-hmm. uh, out of nowhere, I don't think yeah, it might have sold because of SpongeBob, but not in the same way as um, as just a SpongeBob game. Yeah. So I think they did it in the right way, where they give him levels, but not a whole game. Yeah, it's kind of weird because that might have been a, a subplot with Patrick in later episodes, but that wasn't a thing with him in the uh, earlier no. seasons he didn't have that that alter ego of being a superhero and that's the thing that you know i said earlier you're jumping into everybody's dreams and that's what it is you know spongebob he dreams of being able to drive and that's why he's a race car driver and yeah plankton is <laughs> like a giant funny. yeah it's really good actually how they lean into plankton being uh, like a giant mech kind of destroying the city and everything yeah. that he's doing which is really cool but then patrick's side plot of him being a superhero i didn't quite know where that came from exactly it kind of would have been better to have had maybe Squidward being in there instead being like a uh, an actual artist or a musician, like a world-class musician or something, and having him being in more like – you could have kept maybe the cel-shadedness or maybe have Squidward have more of like a um, like a Starry Night or like a Van Gogh art style. Mm. That would have been really neat. Yeah. Um, like have that different art style but have, have it with Squidward instead. I think that would have made a little bit more sense and maybe give – because you already have the cel-shaded SpongeBob episode or levels that look like ripping friends. Honestly, you didn't need another one with Patrick. I think Squidward would have been a better choice. But that's actually a really good point. I like yeah. that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, yeah the, the the whole game is not bad at all. It's 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 definitely a good game. It's um it's a fun game. The gameplay is super solid. That's that can't be mm-hmm. uh, overstated. Is how solid the gameplay is in, in here and still works really well to to this day. Of course, it's a 2006. October release, so this is yeah. very late on the GameCube. One of the last games actually on the GameCube, mm-hmm. um, and of course was also on the Wii. I feel like the Wii might have even been the better place to play this than the GameCube at yeah. this point. Uh, there's also the, like you said, the DS game, which probably would have been pretty solid too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anything about the Game Boy Advance game. I can't see it being great at this point though, just because it's a 2006 Game Boy Advance game. I think at this point you're looking at probably playing the fifth 2D SpongeBob game yeah. and getting a very similar experience. Uh, they were all pretty much 2D platforming games, so I think you're probably getting pretty tired of SpongeBob Game Boy Advance games at this point. Yeah, I think my my biggest criticism for this game though is the fact that it's just another you know another SpongeBob game in the span of five years. Like mm-hmm. we, this is the fifth one now on the GameCube, and sure it does do some stuff differently, like you said, and yeah. and with especially with the characterizations, but it doesn't, in my opinion, do enough stuff differently no. that I would want because there are, like you said, the others those those levels of like the driving levels, but uh, that are different. But then you have just a lot of standard platforming that you kind of have in all these other games, even in Lights, Camera, Pants. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I like what you say there. Like, we've had five SpongeBob games, Lights, Camera, Pants being the main different one. It's a mini game. But the other four games that we've talked about now are all very similar. There are three yeah. platforming levels with some level of a boss fight and a collect-a-thonness to them. So, yeah, it is getting very repetitive, like the Game Boy Advance versions. And we're going to talk about in a few minutes in our closing thoughts what we would like to see from SpongeBob games, and uh, I'd like to talk more about it then. What this game does uh, slightly different than the other games, though, is that there's actually four different endings, depending on who mm. you win the game with. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, there's three character endings, depending on who you play as, either SpongeBob, Patrick, or uh, Plankton. And what's funny is that all of the ending cutscenes uh, incorporate Gary in some way, Gary the Snail, who's an underrated character in the SpongeBob universe. He's probably pretty, Absolutely. I guess he's rated, but uh, he's memed. <laughs> uh, he's very good. Pat, uh, SpongeBob's snail cat friend, of course. Uh, but uh, SpongeBob's dream, or 
game, dream, ends with uh, all the customers in the Krusty Krab with shells on their back, and they meow. Uh, Patrick hits his head and sees multiple Garys. Uh, if Plankton wins, uh, Krabby Patties rain down from the sky. R- one Krabby Patty has Gary's eyes. Uh, the game is very much an acid trip. But the ultimate <laughs> ending, the fourth and final ending, is mm. uh, SpongeBob, Patrick, and Plankton wake up in another dream, and it is revealed that the whole game took place in Gary's dream. I love that. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like the Star Wars thing that you want, where it all was a dream, Mike, and you wake up and Jar Jar Binks was dreamed it all up. But isn't that an episode already though, with like or like something uh, like that, where they're all in Gary's dream? Because there yes. is an episode where they're in all the each other's dreams. It's SpongeBob. He's dream hopping, and he goes from dream to dream, and he goes to Gary's, and Gary's actually incredibly smart. Yes, uh, that's he, right. Yeah, he goes to like Patrick's dream, and Patrick is just on that seahorse ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god, I completely. That's such a good one. A very I good love episode. that little bit where you just. And he loses the quarter. Yeah. And then it just stops <laughs> and he's just sitting there. Oh. oh. And SpongeBob's like, Patrick, it's a dream. You can dream up a million rides or whatever. And he just keeps dreaming up more and more quarters. And, you know, he can't figure that out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a play on that, I suppose. So it's too bad that they only went into three different dreams, that they couldn't have done more, um, making it a bit more of like an Inception style game. Uh, maybe make the levels a little bit shorter and just lean into Sandy and Mr. Krabs and Plankton again, or maybe go into some of those other characters that we talked about, like Bubble Bass and Larry and, and all the other characters that we know and love but in in some ways it's limited in some ways it tries new things but uh at the end of the day it's a cartoon tie-in published by thq so it pretty much ticks ticks all the boxes that you'd expect yep definitely definitely but uh with that said neil let's move on to the back of the case and then our closing thoughts on spongebob okay sounds good now the back of this case is very uh add i guess is the best way to describe it there's multiple different like boxes fonts everything i guess because the game itself like the game (laughs) like the game itself yeah a lot of different styles in the game too that's a good point Bikini Bottom will never be the same. Play in eight bizarre and unusual worlds. Rampage through Bikini Bottom as Giant Plankton. Save the day as Patrick Starfish Man. Keep Plankton from being eaten by the supersized patty, which is actually a pretty fun level. The giant Krabby Patty level. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, do, it does a good job of exploring the character's uh, psychoses, I suppose, a little bit, but not getting exactly the game that I would have wanted from uh, fr- from SpongeBob itself, which brings us into our uh, closing statements of the SpongeBob games on GameCube. Mike, from the games that we talked about today, what games do you recommend the listeners out there pick up? Man, I mean... This All might, of them. <laughs> honestly, uh, well, well, this might be one of the first times where I give three games, of, uh, of especially of five games, um, of a small sample size here. I would say Battle for Bikini Bottom, uh, mm-hmm. SpongeBob SquarePants the movie, mm-hmm. and SpongeBob SquarePants Lights, Camera, Pants. And if you can, even get Battle for Bikini Bottom rehydrated. So, like, four games right there. Yeah, no, that's a great collection. I have to say the same three. Like, I can't not recommend them all. Like, they're all great. And I, I, whenever I see them, I always ask people, like, do you own this game? And if they say no, I'm like, buy it. Because, like, you're <laughs> yeah. not, not going to regret it. Uh, the games are undervalued, I think, uh, compared to, like, what they cost back in the day. They're less oh, yeah. than they were when they came out. So if you're worried about GameCube prices going up, definitely pick up the SpongeBob games. I think if I had to nail down one, I would say probably Battle for Bikini Bottom, just because it is such a good single-player game. There's lots to do. It has an amazing speed-running community that we talked about with Luigi, if you're into that kind of thing. But if you're just into it to play it chill and you want to collect everything, it's a lot of fun. I have heard mixed opinions on the rehydrated version, so I own the GameCube version. I would like to I would like to support the new one just because I would love THQ Nordic to uh, to re-release and remaster all of these old games because, man, I would love to have another Lights, Camera, Pants or just a remake of the old one. I would love to see the movie come back on current-gen hardware. I don't know how that works with licensing and rights and everything. 
Um, so yeah, if you, if you happen to find all five of these games on a shelf in a store, try and get those three for sure. But if you can only pick one battle for bikini bottom, real good on GameCube, they all run exceptionally well on GameCube. Mm-hmm. sounds like PS2 is actually like not the best place to play them. So GameCube home of SpongeBob SquarePants. Home of SpongeBob, it is definitely the best place. And if I had to pick just one, I would probably say Lights, Camera, Pants as my number one nice. pick. Just because I think it's the best, one of the best games to play on the GameCube that's a multiplayer game. And it's one of my mm-hmm. first recommendations whenever anyone asks me what's a great multiplayer game. I obviously say that's not Mario Party. I obviously say this one, I'll say Time Splitters. But I think this one is just a, a perfect game to play with with friends or a partner. It's It's... It's, it's so it's so fun and, and quite different and also uses a lot of the same tropes from other games like Guitar Hero and like Mario Party, like I said. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a great time and it's cheap. It's yeah, 20, 20 bucks usually. And unlike Mario Party, you can pick up and pop in Lights, Camera, Pants and be playing within yeah. a few minutes. Mario Party, you have to sit through the tutorials. You have to listen to Toadsworth. You have to spin dice. <laughs> like this one, it really is just like point. AAA play. Pick your character, go. It's it's great. So, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with anything you say of any of those three games. Absolutely. So where do you see the future of SpongeBob SquarePants going forward on Nintendo hardware, Mike? We, of course, have the Cosmic Shake coming out in the next year or so. Uh, we've had Lights, Camera, Pants, Rehydrated come out in the past few years. But where would you like to see SpongeBob going forward? Well, I mean, SpongeBob will, of course, be making games... For until Nickelodeon, uh, you know, beats that horse dry, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be going for a long time. Uh, I think uh, we'll definitely see some, well, potentially see some more remasters. Uh, I, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Nickelodeon is a weird studio, man. Like they, they shoot for the stars, but then they kind of give up on shooting for the stars and just like shoot just a little high and like mediocrely high, yeah. uh, which always seems to be the case. You know, they, they had a lot of hype behind uh, Battle for Bikini, Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. And there is a lot of good stuff in that game. I do still recommend it, but um, you're right. It definitely has some mixed opinions for a lot of uh, areas and, and different stuff going on in the game. Uh, but I think it's kind of like, that's just what happens when you make a, a remake of a almost 20 year old game. You'll right. always have its, uh, have its detractors. Um, and in terms of a new game, like, uh, I'm very interested in what is going to happen with that, uh, that newest entry, what is the cosmic, uh, cosmic shake, cosmic shake. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Coming out maybe later this year, or early next year. Uh, because I don't really know what new SpongeBob games should be. I can't really give you an answer on that. Like in my mind, I just want the old ones. Like these are great games. There's not really a big reason to make new games, for, uh, for me, like, just give me basically what you had before. Um, and also the fact that I can still play these games on the GameCube and they look still quite good. Like, the presentation has held up. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of interest in playing a new SpongeBob game. So I I don't think I'll buy Cosmic Shake unless it's, you know, heralded as this uh, amazing critical masterpiece, which I don't think will happen. No. Um, and, of course, we'll see SpongeBob in probably a new Nicktoons game coming out at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see him in any kind of those brawl or racers, which are always ones that uh, almost the Nickelodeon cycle of having high hopes for. And then, yeah. uh, again, mediocrely shooting for the stars and you're just getting this kind of okay game. Yeah, I know. Like, SpongeBob, it's so weird how we don't have better games. Like, it's it's a huge franchise. It's It's... It's like it's weird that we get like great, you know, Batman games and we get great James Bond games. And then the SpongeBob game comes out and like they're good, like they're fine. They're they're for kids at the end of the day. They're 3D platforming games. They've never really gone too far outside of the box. I would like them to have the uh 
I'd like them to have the confidence to go out and do an open sandbox SpongeBob game. Again, oh no God. pun intended, <laughs> where you can explore Bikini Bottom a little better. Like, flesh out this town. Let us go around to the different stores and to the grocery stores and the, the Krusty Krab and SpongeBob's house and go and see where Larry lives and, and do levels and, and have a little story in there, too. It doesn't have to be a huge open world game, but it would be a good kind of middle ground for kids to play between their their kids games that they play and open world games like Skyrim and Zelda and, and GTA at some point but it would be fun to have like almost like the South Park Stick of Truth game but with Spongebob that's what I have mm-hmm. in mind where yeah, yeah. you start off maybe you don't even play as Spongebob maybe you play as like a, uh, a regular bystander in the game I don't know how you would do this but maybe you pick your character and you play as Spongebob Patrick Sandy Squidward whoever it is but then you can I don't know go work at the Krusty Krab for a bit you can go on uh, an adventure in Jellyfish Fields you can go on a on a side quest with the Flying Dutchman and with the Dirty Bubble and Man Ray and and Barnacle Boy and um, Mermaid Man and everything else. There's so many characters and so many stories that you can you can exploit and make an awesome open open world sandbox game with and that's what i would like to see spongebob do but i fear that they're just going to keep making these basically creature from the crusty crab level of uh, 3d platformers we may see some more remakes from back in the day i don't know what they'll do after doing battle for bikini bottom because they pretty much have to throw a dart at a board to figure out what games to do next because you and i both love the movie game and the and the uh, lights camera pants game but sales wouldn't tell you that like those games didn't no. sell any better than all the other spongebob job games so and reviews are all pretty on par they're all around sixes and sevens so if you're thq it's kind of hard to tell what the popular other opinions are other than battle for bikini bottom so i'd be interested to see what remake they do next i hope it's lights camera pants or the movie but i honestly don't know so in the meantime i'm gonna hope for this open world sandbox game and Mm -hmm. uh Hopefully we don't get too many more of these subpar brawler and car racing games because, man, I really want I really want Nickelodeon to come back strong. They have such good IP. They're like Hanna-Barbera. They have such good IP, <laughs> and they just underutilize everything, and it just makes me so upset. But anyway. Yeah, honestly. One day, one day maybe SpongeBob will get his due. Maybe at one point he'll kind of go away for a little bit and have his big comeback special. But, Mike, while I'm waiting here for Squidward's band to come play in Toronto— why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 106 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. I can't wait to see Squilliam in person, but uh, on episode 106 of the GameCube is Cool podcast, we are on the radio once again, Neil, 97.8, the Cube FM. Mm. And we're going to be talking about Super Mario Baseball or uh, Mario Baseball Sluggers. It's, I think you got yeah, it. Yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> Superstar <laughs> Baseball. It's a... It's a I'd say it's a hidden gem, Neil, because no one really mm. talks about this sports game. We're going to be talking about Mario sports in general, of course, on the episode. But the baseball, the two baseball games that Mario ever put out or Nintendo ever put out for Mario are often overlooked, but they're really good games. Yeah, it's interesting because the GameCube, as we've, as we've talked about now for over 100 episodes, is home to the golden era of Mario sports games. And the baseball, Mario, Super Mario Baseball, is kind of overlooked a little bit. It's definitely mm-hmm. the fourth one, I think, in terms of popularity. That might just be me. It's definitely the one that I've played the least out of the four games, but I'm really excited to talk about it. But it also brings a little bit of sadness to it, Mike, because that's going to be our last Mario sports game on on the GameCube that we're ever going to cover. That's right. That's going to be a little sad, Neil, and uh, we'll have a little mm-hmm. memorial in there uh, for the Mario sports games. Okay. Are we going to have somebody throw an opening pitch next week? That sounds like something we could do. Ooh, I like that. I like that. 
Yeah, well, but until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 105 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everybody over there. You can follow us for free on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Just search the GameCube is Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Bubble Bass, my says hi. Thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week. Happy Leaf Erickson Day! Dinga dinga derg! How do they get away with calling somebody Bubble Bass? I just realized it's like Bubble Ass. <laughs> yeah. He did have a he did have a bubble ass. <laughs> they got away with so much in that show. Like we had bikini bottoms, sandy cheeks. They made so many butt jokes in that in that <laughs> show that like just went right over our heads. Oh, I know. There's so many, and all the Squidward jokes too, of course. And Squidward basically wanting to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> suicide, suicide watch for Squidward. <laughs>